VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly. Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Monday, June the 6th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly. Fonce King is sitting in the producer's chair today. Let's get the week off to a flying start. What do you say? If you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue and on the air is 273-5211, or elsewhere it's toll-free long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. Well, big game tonight. Alex Nook and the Avalanche can clinch a berth in the Stanley Cup Finals. How exciting is that at all? And Nook looks good out there. He really, truly does look good out there, and that boy can't skate, so... I guess another long night for yours truly to watch the avalanche there thick. That's, uh, and the Oilers are in the series, you know, ish during the games, but it's hard to picture the Edmonton Oilers winning four of the next five to oust the avalanche, but we'll see, right? Uh, Growlers basketball. Good crowds over at the Fieldhouse at Memorial University, but the Growlers come up short. They almost pulled it off yesterday, a heartbreaking loss, 86-85, despite the fact that Brandon Sampson, one of the Growlers, had a league record for points in a single game with 42 points. But they're on to kick off their inaugural season in the CEBL. And curiously enough, uh, today in history, uh, 76 years ago, the NBA was first created with 11 teams. So it was founded in New York City by the owners of the major ice hockey arenas, and they got into the foray of basketball. They first called it the Basketball Association of America, but it quickly became known as the NBA. And the first title was won by the Philadelphia Warriors, who beat the Chicago Stag in the first final. And what's going on with Canada soccer? I mean, what a topsy-turvy year. First, we qualify for the World Cup the first time since 1986, and the country was euphoric over it. And then it was the ill-advised uh, scheduling of a game versus Iran and paying them to play us, and that went by the wayside. They very quickly recognized the error of their ways. And then yesterday, abruptly canceled a friendly with Panama. There was fans actually waiting at the gates to watch Canada play, and then they called it off. So there was a dispute on Friday where the players wouldn't take to the field over a contractual issue with uh, Soccer Canada. But Canada, man, you're up and you're down. It's not a good look as one of the fans who stood at the gate just to be told that, sorry, no game today. So Canada Soccer, what are you doing? And I don't know much about this story, but I just happened to see it out of the corner of my eye on social media. Apparently of apparently a team of Newfoundland Labrador girls went to the National Bowling Championship and won a gold medal. If anyone can fill me in with some more details, I would love to know that. But congratulations to all involved and the champions. And speaking of that, I heard uh, Ben Murphy and Jerry Lynn Mackey on the morning show talking about a credit or a rebate in Prince Edward Island for the purchase of a new bicycle. And it has to be a self-propelled bicycle. So up to $100 rebate on bikes price tagged up to $2,000. You know, getting more and more people out there is probably a pretty good deal. I had a spin on my bicycle over the weekend. And, you know, as they say, it's just like riding a bike. Kind of felt a bit wobbly. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Anyway, and I spoke to Minister Siobhan Cody on this program last week. And, you know, when we're talking about tax on sugary drinks, and hopefully that will change people's purchasing behaviors or habits, eh, we'll see. And then, you know, things like a rebate on a bicycle. I don't know if I'm not promoting that as the next step forward. But in the world of the physical fitness tax credit, up to $2,000 per family, it's well-intentioned, but it's not going to put any additional children in some organized activities over the summer. If you don't have the money up front, you can't hardly wait for a tax credit down the road. Now, of course, as someone rightfully points out in the email over the weekend, you don't need to be in organized sports to be physically active. Absolutely right. 
I mean, running around in the park, playing tag, or kicking around the ball, or throwing the frisbee can keep you outdoors, bit of fresh air, and keep you active. But there's a bunch of different lessons and the opportunity to meet new people when you get involved in organized sports as well. So put that out there for your consideration. And a little bit differently, it was also today in history that the first drive-in theater opened. Now, I heard rumbles that there was going to be a drive-in theater this summer. Do you know anything about that, listeners? If so, let us know, because it's a really cool thing. I remember as a child going out to the Brookfield Drive-In, and it was just a unique and fun experience. So the first drive-in theater opened in Camden, New Jersey. Outdoor movie screen, large parking area. It, you know, it had been replicated by a couple of hundred different drive-in theaters in short order in the United States, but that one opened in 1933. I went down to try to find out what the first movie shown was. It was a British comedy called Wives Beware, starring people that I've never heard of. So sort of a strange choice to put on the big screen for the first time. Okay. We are truly on the home stretch in the province's kindergarten through grade 12 school year. The third year of pandemic schooling. I hear from teachers and families with some of their worries. I mean, we've had a real mixed bag, haven't we? There's been some concerns with attendance. And then there was some virtual learning that didn't work for so many students. Then there was the hybrid, which didn't work for anybody, I'm told. And the issues surrounding, you know, the school district will say, well, if you remain in the K-12 system, they have the ability to know where you are insofar as what you've captured with the year's prior uh, curriculum. We've done away with so many of the ways that we were traditionally assessing students. You know, gone are public exams, gone are many exams. Not gone when you get to post-secondary, but gone in the K-12 system. Now, modern-day educators, they know more about it than I do, but it always sounds a little bit odd that we don't really have some firm metrics. Can't even compare, like, grade 12 to publics and what that might mean for competitive seats in some of the most prestigious post-secondary institutions. But the concept of learning loss is real. I mean, just, you know, think about it. If you get through one grade, possibly by the skin of your teeth, or simply move forward with the lack of assessments, I don't know how they're going to approach it this report card season, but the people who are monitoring this, we know it's a provincial jurisdiction. Too bad there's not some national standards because students around the country have been in very similar predicaments here. So they point to three core components. Reforming curriculum to address learning that was affected during disruption periods. Boosting core skills, literacy, numeracy, and more. Targeting resources and investments by the communities most affected. All makes sense. And I thought, you know, please bring forward your concerns or questions or comments about the K-12 system, especially over the last three years. And then I've brought forward, you know, the concept of more and more first aid in the schools to be taught, you know, life skills. And we mentioned a teacher in a high school in Ontario bringing in experts in the ABCs of how to handle your money. To buy a car, get a mortgage, how to invest, what to be aware of and wary of. Let's throw this in there. There's, you know, the past election in Ontario, provincially. So remember, it's not that long ago, there was an opinion piece written by a young man here in the city about the prospects and the upside of lowering the voting age. If more and more civics was introduced in school, that this might be more palpable potential to lower the voting age to 16. It gets ridiculed and mocked very quickly and very easily in some corners. And the basics are, they're too young and they don't know about the issues of the day, even though the next vote will impact their lives, absolutely. Plus, you have 16-year-olds out there working and paying taxes. It's hard to make an argument how I can't vote if I'm paying tax, right? So the whole concept of low-information voters. And again, this is not to be saucy, but there's lots of low-information voters out there over the age of majority who are casting their ballot all the time. So 
I know I'm probably in the minority to think that we should consider and discuss the potential to lower the voting age to 16. And then on the heels of the Ontario election, with the dismal turnout, one of the lowest in history in that province, just over 40%. There's a lot on the line when elections come and go, and the whole concept of there's no one worth voting for, well, certainly someone is worse than someone else on the ballot, just from where I stand. And so now it happens all the time when we see these elections with low turnout is the concept of mandatory voting as part of your civic duty, people will say. Now, I'm not even so sure what I think about mandatory voting, to be honest. I vote all the time, every time I get the opportunity, so it wouldn't really impact me. You know, but again, some of these discussions are derailed so quickly because all of a sudden, even just on some social media threads, which are echo chambers, I get it, but, you know, thrown around, well, that would be tyranny. Well, not particularly. There's countries that do it. For instance, in Australia, it's mandatory to vote. And if you don't vote, you get a letter asking to explain why you didn't. And if it's nonsense, then it's like a $20 fine or something, which is really not a whole lot. You know, when more and more people vote, we end up getting representatives that are more representative of the community and the different peoples in the community. Men and women, young and old, disabled, people of color, sexual orientation, whatever. It just absolutely will reflect in what we look like as a community as to how we seat our politicians. So the, the arguments surrounding mandatory voting, some of them people are asking good questions and some not so wise or required. But those two things, lowering the voting age and mandatory voting or proportional representation or democratic reform, because what, what's going on today just doesn't really work, does it? It's not really working the way it should in our collective best interest. I just wanted to put that out there for consideration. All right, you know me. I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. And people say we should focus more on what goes on in this province versus what happens elsewhere. I agree with that. But also when we look around, there's the opportunity to see some good ideas that are being explored and some public policy that is working. So if it works, maybe it's time to consider adopting it here. That's all. That's why we look around, just like we did with PEI and the bicycle uh, rebate up to 100 bucks. Let's go to Fredericton in New Brunswick. They are the first major city in Atlantic Canada, for sure, that's adopted some sort of use of tiny homes. Look, we talk about affordable housing and keeping the wolf away from the door, and some people only need a tiny home. So there's uh, an organization called the 12 Neighbors Community Incorporated. They've got an affordable housing approach that includes 12 tiny homes and these different plots of land that are being developed. So a tiny home, these, they're going to feature a total of 96 tiny homes in this one particular area. A 23-square-meter home, full kitchen, three-piece bathroom, a living space, and loft storage. It doesn't sound like much of a home until that's maybe all you need. You know full well, some people living in really big homes, they do exactly what I do. You go to bed in the bedroom, and you spend most of your time in the kitchen, <laughs> right? I think most people do that. So, you know, even smaller communities, the first one out of the gate that will take a real pragmatic look at allowing and giving permits to tiny homes is going to see people rush to that community. Why? Because it's cost efficient. It might be all one person needs, or maybe even a small or a young couple. A small, a young couple, maybe that's all they really, really need. So you add a shed in, and you got yourself a setup. So Fredericton is adopting it. And then you look across the court of Nova Scotia and in Halifax. In an effort to promote local, and there was a big spat last week on social media about buying local and some pricey cookies in this case. I didn't get in on it because I didn't have the brain space for it. In Halifax, uh, they launched it uh, last Wednesday. If you get a parking ticket, 
and tickets uh, are $45, 40 if you pay them in the first five days. You can, if you spend up to $35 at a local shop, submit your receipt, they waive the ticket. You know, it's just little things that you never know. Are they good ideas? Are they worth discussing? I think they probably are. So you can only uh, get one ticket per week waived. It certainly will see an uptick in business in some of the local shops. And, of course, yes, you spend your money where you like to spend your money. And if you don't want to buy local, then don't buy local. But there's certainly an uptick to it, in my personal opinion. But in Halifax, get a parking ticket, spend 35 bucks at a local shop, submit your receipt. The receipt can only be used by one person and one per week. And maybe that's not a bad idea. What do you think? There's your little look around Atlantic Canada. Let's keep going. Um, lots of interesting emails over the weekend regarding the controlled hunt of the double-breast cormorant. They are having a negative impact on a variety of sites, whether it be fish habitats, water supplies, the guano is toxic, and yes, the specific mention of aquaculture operations. Barry called the show last week and said he thinks that's why this came kind of out of nowhere, is this controlled hunt, if you get a permit and you can show that this particular cormorant is a nuisance or cormorants are nuisances, you can take them on. Maybe the agriculture industry pushed this policy forward. I don't know. But there's people who have distinct problems with it. Now, they can have a devastating impact on wild fish, just like brown trout, as Aaron pointed out last week. Water supply, absolutely true. But it kind of came out of nowhere. And the same people, generally speaking, in the dozens of emails on these topics, also included the fact that the Capelin quota has been simply rolled over from last year. You know, we know what it means as a linchpin, as a forage fish. You know, the Association for Seafood Producers say that taking out the total allowable catch at just over 14,000 tons has very little impact on the overall stock. But there's others out there think that, you know, if it's the comparison, again, let's look at best practice. Iceland and Norway fish it when it's up and, and don't when it's down. The boom bust of the strength of the Capelin stock. Look, I get it. It's easy enough for someone who doesn't make any money off Capelin to say what you should or should not do or what DFO should or should not do. But, you know, the long-term implications of potentially overfishing, and look, we saw the moratorium in some areas about herring and capelin, and same thing with uh, herring and, pardon me, mackerel, and now the capelin stock has been rolled over for you in the industry. You want to talk about it? Let's do it. A couple quick notes here. So the House of Assembly has now closed up, and, you know, it was a bit of a victory lap taken by the government last week. Still lots to discuss and to understand about how people are making ends meet regarding cost of living issues and inflation pressures, but if you want to send a message to your member who should be dealing with constituents and answering their concerns and questions, and if you'd like to talk about what was done or achieved or not done or achieved, we can tackle that today as you see fit. A couple of quick notes here. I want to say uh, good morning and offer our condolences to the family and the friends and the thousands of hockey players influenced by Cliff Green. Cliff Green worked with the Cornerbrook Minor Hockey Association for more than 40 years. And there's a very specific story here told by a man named Ben Fitzgerald who credits Mr. Green with planting the love of the sport in him and consequently his hockey playing career, minor and amateur. So for anyone out there volunteering in anything, whether it be sports or theater or whatever, you know, to put 40 years into something like volunteering for minor hockey, congratulations and thank you to Cliff Green. And I'm sure there are thousands of young hockey players that owe a debt of gratitude to Mr. Green. So I wanted to give uh, Cliff Green uh, some due consideration today and thank him and offer our condolences to his friends and his family and the hockey players who we represented all those years.
and Christopher Pratt has passed at the age of 86. It's hard to know where to start or what to say about Christopher Pratt, but like many areas of the arts, we produce some of the very best in the country and the world right here in this tiny province. Christopher Pratt referred to as a magic realist for a reason. I don't own any of his pieces, although I've marveled at many. I never had the luxury of meeting the man. And no, best known in many corners for his design of the Newfoundland and Labrador flag. Of course, when it was first displayed, I didn't know what to make of it. It's grown on me. But Christopher Pratt is an absolute icon in the arts world, here in the country, and I would suggest around the world. And of course, his wife, Mary Pratt, I still can't get over some of the work that she does. And I, I hesitate to go down the road of just naming some other artists who are world-class in the province because I don't want to leave anybody out. I'll give Grant Boland a quick shout-out, though. And so Christopher Pratt has passed. If you knew the man, I would like to pass on some stories regarding Mr. Pratt, his career, and who he was, and some road trips you may have taken with him or conversations that you had with him. We'd more than welcome those chats today, but the legend Christopher Pratt, dead at 86, our deepest condolences to his family and his friends. He survived by four children. I know a couple of them, so that's quite sad. And I meant, you know, every now and then someone says, will you give a shout-out to someone or other? I'm happy to do it. And there was a 50th anniversary celebrated last week on Friday, the 3rd of June. A lady asked me to do it earlier on in the week, and I forgot. Simple as that. So I want to say happy belated 50th anniversary to Mel and Cynthia Gregory coming from the Corona Cruisers and all of us here at VOCN. Happy 50th to Mel and Cynthia Gregory. I apologize for missing your big day last Friday, but there you go. We're on Twitter. For VOCM Open Line, follow us there. Our email address is openlineofvocm.com. How we doing on the phone? Fonts. All right, so maybe in conjunction with Mel and Cynthia's wedding anniversary, today in history, 1964, at the top of the charts were the Dixie Cups with Chapel of Love. Don't go away. Going to the chapel and we're gonna get married. Going to the chapel and we're gonna get married. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. This is Open Line on VOCM. 
welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number one. Wendy, you're on the air. Oh, good morning. How are you? Okay, thank you. How are you? I'm great. I'd like to bring up a topic this morning about uh, people blowing through bus stop signs. I am a driver, and this morning there was quite a close call, enough to bring me teary-eyed all the way to school. And I had to speak to the bus kids to teach them to not step out on the road because you cannot trust drivers. So it's pretty bad that it's come to that, that you've got to teach the kids to watch out because the adults aren't responsible enough. Yeah, I suppose we probably should do both, uh, obviously. You know, we teach our children a bit of safety when we first allow them to walk to school or to cross the street or to ride their bikes out in the street. But it shouldn't come to this when we have so many easy-to-understand easy rules regarding buses. When the stop yeah. sign is deployed and the lights are flashing, traffic in both directions, stop. That's it. That's a simple one to follow along with. For me, I can't imagine the mindset of being willing to blow past the bus going in either direction, what's the likelihood of hitting, hurting, or killing a child just to get wherever to the next red light quicker than the person who stopped behind you? It's just mind-boggling to me. If, if this, and, and what I'm talking about is coming toward the bus, I almost understand the frustration when people are behind a bus for 20 stops, but coming toward the bus is one stop. Yep. And if this child hadn't been alert herself, she would have been very seriously injured today. And I'm still shaky. So, um, and she was, you know, middle, uh, intermediate school. So luckily old enough. Uh, it's, it's happening every day. Every bus run that I do, twice a day or twice every day. Uh, multiple times, sometimes in one trip. It is absolutely out of control. And people are on their phones and are not paying attention. They're uh, not swerving to avoid potholes or anything. They don't even see the bus. They don't even care about the bus. They're not making eye contact with me. I have enough time to stop my bus and wave my arms, and they still blow through. It is atrocious and um, totally disrespectful and preventable before somebody gets hurt. And it's, I know it's everywhere, every province, you know, every town. I don't know what it takes, and I, I don't want it to be that someone is actually going to be hurt in our community. Oh, let's hope not. Uh, I just can't handle that headline. That might happen one of these days. You know, it's like everything. It's one thing to have a law or a rule on the book. It's quite another for them to be enforced. The penalty, the ticket for that should be a, a massive sum. So, like we talk about controlling or monitoring the children on the bus and a actual human adult monitor and or incorporating cameras, I wonder will it simply boil down to, at some point, you know, dash cams on the front and the back of the bus and anyone who blows by a bus in either direction when the stop sign and lights are deployed, then we just make them pay. You well, know? they're talking about putting them on the stop arms now, I believe, in, in the latest news, but, you know, that can't come soon enough. Mm -hmm. um, and it needs to be in both directions, I understand, to get the driver and to get the plate in, in the reverse, so um, in order to go to court. So that's my understanding. And it's just too fast. We can't get the plate. It's at the back. You can't see it. You don't know when it's going to happen, so you're not prepared. There's no way for a driver to get that information. No, and that's what it, it would take a camera because you've got your own concerns operating yeah. the bus and watching out for the children versus license plate monitoring and the like. But I'm, I'm sorry it had happened, and I can only imagine it gave you a good fright because it would give anybody a good fright to see a child with a close call with an oncoming car. Oh, boy. So I'm pleading with the, I'm pleading with the drivers to please slow down. When you see a bus, just be extra careful that – 
the bus may not be stopping, but just look to see if they're about to stop. You know, the caution lights are there for a reason, as an early warning. It, we understand the point of no return with a caution light, but there is no point of no return with a stop. A stop is an absolute full stop, and that's what's happening. If we're approaching our stop, our stop sign has already been out a few seconds because the door needs to open, the stick needs to come out before we stop fully. So we can't stop the bus fully and then put the stop sign out because it will never get to school. Mm-hmm. And we need to give them that warning. The caution lights were already their warning. That's what they're missing. The caution lights are the warning. The stop sign comes out while our, our, you know, our wheels are slowing to a stop. They're still going through because we're not stopped yet. And they think, okay, I'm still good. That's, my, that's what I believe is happening. I'm still good. The bus has not stopped yet, so I'm not going to hit anybody. But the fact is, then the next person behind follows the leader. And they, or they get grandfathered through, especially when there's four or five cars. Four or five cars, they keep going, keep going. They, neither one of them wants to take responsibility to actually stop. And it's okay when the kids are on the right side. They're not going to be hurt. On the left side when they're crossing over, yes. There's a high potential. Or one day I had a little girl, probably three or four, run to her brother and jump up in his arms. If there had been a car coming through, then she wouldn't have had a chance. The driver needs to be responsible. Yeah, I mean, kids are carefree, right? And maybe don't yeah. pay the, the strict attention we hope they would because they're kids. So anyway, Wendy. Makeup. Yeah, they're fixing their makeup. They're on their phones. Uh, there's just no excuse. And they're totally ignoring driving right through not even to make eye contact because they know they're wrong understood it's a it's a good message to put out on the show here this morning i appreciate your time thank you very much thank you take care you too wendy bye-bye all right i'm gonna get another one before we go to the break let's go to line two good morning kenneth you're on the air uh, hello patty hello to you uh, thanks for taking my call i was talking to you a couple of months ago Oh, just before we get to that, I just very quickly on the school bus business, the fine is 650 bucks and six points. Let's put a one in front of that, 650. Uh, sorry to interrupt, Kenneth. Go yeah, right ahead. Actually, I agree with that too, Patty, because I'm, I'm, I'm a father of three children. But, uh, yeah, no, I was talking a couple of months ago because I, 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 I seen a pine, Martin. Oh, yes, I remember. Yeah. Yes. Well, actually, Patty, uh, Saturday, I was coming down uh, through Petty Harbor Road, and I seen it again. This time I kind of followed it. I was I lost it for a bit, and uh, then I followed it again, and then went down. The last place I see it, there's a bunch of houses as you go into uh, Petty Harbour, and, uh, and there's a Bella Line there too, and that's where I seen it. And as you're coming in past that welcome sign, I, I was watching this thing for about ten minutes, and uh, this little piece of property out alongside the last house there, where there's a couple of commercial signs. I was watching this thing for about ten minutes. And my apologies to the homeowner if he looked at me and thought I was suspicious. I wasn't looking at his property. I was looking at this animal. But uh, to give a warning to people in that area as well, this thing was agile, really agile. It was huge. And I think if you got, I've seen a couple of cats going around there. And I think you should be kind of mindful if you got cats or little small dogs because this thing was, you know, it was beautiful. Don't get me wrong. And I'm glad it's here. It's the second time I've seen it, so it's definitely, it's definitely established. I'm going to say in this, in that area. Well, I, I remember speaking with you, and then I did some reading about Pine Martin, and 
the numbers struggled back in the 70s and 80s. There were only a couple of hundred. Now there might be as many as 2,000. And there was only a couple of little pockets of where you could find a pine marten. And now apparently I'm hearing, after your call, I heard from people all over the province to say, well, I see him out here in Bay St. George. Well, sure, I see him in CBS. Sure, I see him out in Bay Roberts. So that's probably good news, albeit they're pretty feisty little things. And they are omnivorous. So maybe you're, you know, you're small your small pet or what have you, maybe the pine marten might be a bit of a nuisance. It's, uh, the pine marten is a distinct, the Newfoundland pine marten is a distinct species. There's only 14 species of land mammals native to this island, and the marten is one of them. Interesting. And it is, and that, like I said, it was originally taught that there was only seven sub-regions. Uh, Terranova was one of them. Right. And I know the rest was on the West Coast, but I can guarantee you, after what I've seen, there's definitely an eight one now. And... Uh, I'm gonna, but I'm gonna do Patty because I, I did email uh, Wildlife, and I'm, but I'm actually gonna, I'm seeing it at the same time too. Actually, it's around dusk that I'm seeing this animal there. That that's the second time I see it. It was a couple of months ago, and it was around the same time. I'm gonna actually really try to get a video of it. Now I, I, the video on my phone didn't work. I had to go get my daughter who got a video on her phone so she could. Uh, of course, it was gone by then. But I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna try to get some video footage and try to capture like a landmark, like it was. Because this was down by the pond. I don't know if you're familiar with Petty Harbour as you're going down through the Ghouls. Say, it's that pond with the dam. That's around the region. I'm seeing it. And uh, and those first houses. That was the, them first group of houses. That's where I seen it going through. And it went through like pretty quick. That this, that animal is fast. Okay, and, there's actually a, a form in the Department of Wildlife for Martin sightings. For pine yeah, sightings. I see that. I couldn't yeah. download that properly. I'm, I guess I'm not tech savvy, but I'm going to try to get the missus or something. But I did send an email. I'm going to try to get a video because at least then, if there's video, you, video don't lie. And if I got a, a video of that Martin, and I got it with a landmark, say the watershed over the dam or something sure, like that. I got it. And so then, then you could say, okay, well, it's not a, it's not a mink. It's definitely not a mink or not. Or I knew what it was, but at least you could say, look, this is, this is actually here. This is not. You know, this is not a missighting. It's it's there. And, oh, know. I'm sure the department is aware that they've expanded beyond a little pocket on the West Coast. Bay St. George is where I heard from right after your call. And Terranova, as you already pointed out. But it seems like they've made a rebound and they've uh, expanded where they are living these days. So, uh, yeah, fill out that form. The department wants to know, curiously enough. I'm not sure what they do with the information. I suppose it's just to... You know, it was put on the threatened animal list by Kosiwick back in 2001, and it looks like they're making a resurgence. I appreciate the update, Kenneth. Let me know what happens. All right. Thank you very much, Patty. You're welcome. All the best. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll speak about whatever's on your mind. Don't go away. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. This is Open Line on VOCM. Oh, welcome back. Uh, let's go line number four. Colin, you're on the air. Good morning, Mr. Daly. How are you this morning? Not too bad. Thanks. How about you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Great. Wanted to talk about the Jacob Hogarth sexual assault trial in Toronto and the verdict that came down yesterday. He's in trouble. Yeah, big trouble. He's facing a potential maximum of up to 14 years in prison for sexual assault causing bodily harm. So he was acquitted of the charge uh, regarding the 16-year-old fan, but found guilty of sexual assault causing bodily harm. There was a, uh, I 
think the lady was from Ontario, maybe Ottawa back in 2016. So, and you point out the maximum, but I was also, I thought it was interesting when I read the story uh, this morning that there's no minimum sentence unless there's a gun involved or the complainant is under the age of 16. That's right. Yeah, it's a, a lot of offences are like that. Manslaughter is like that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, manslaughter carries a maximum life sentence and there is no minimum for manslaughter unless the firearm is used, in which case it's a minimum of four years in prison. Yeah. Okay, so what about the case would you like to discuss? I mean, this, he was really popular. He came from one of the uh, the popularity, what do they call it, uh, shows on television. What's the word I'm looking for? Anyway. Yeah, Canadian Idol. Yeah, the Canadian Idol or whatever it was. So, you know, he made his way to fame, and then here he is in his late 30s, and he's uh, he's off to prison. And uh, what what made it interesting for you inside, whether it be the proceedings and or the verdict? I, I just find, it, well, in a jury trial, uh, deliberations by the jury are secret. You know, the facts that they find are manifested in the uh, in the verdict, the, the ultimate verdict. And they come back and say guilty or not guilty on a charge. But you never find out what, what went down in the jury room because it's secret. And if uh, jurors disclose their deliberations, that's a criminal offense in this country. Unlike the United States, where, uh, like, for example, the O.J. Simpson trial, within hours after acquitting him, most or if not all the jurors were on uh, the cable news networks down there and, and explaining why they acquitted him and things like that, you know. But I, I find just from the questions that were that were sent back to the judge, I just find it interesting how a jury uh, assesses evidence or the lack of evidence and, and factual inferences that they can draw or not draw from, from evidence and uh, how they apply the judge's uh, charge or instructions to to the evidence, you know? I don't know, but, I mean, human nature is a uh, is a wild facet of life. You know, I, every person sitting in that jury room would have probably a different take on how they heard and absorbed and uh, discerned whatever they were told or the questions that they had or the evidence presented. So uh, there's no perfection here. But they also deliberated for almost two full days. Yep. It was up, up to day five or day six, I think. They started last Tuesday, and they came back with the verdict yesterday. Yeah, I'm talking about the number of hours. Yeah, that's yeah, spread over yeah, four yeah, or five yeah, days. Yeah, that, that's right. But, you know, what, what I, I listened to, like, some of the questions that were read out by the trial judge uh, that the jury had. And one was, um, you know, because he was a rock star, is he in a position of trust? Like a police officer or a medical doctor or, or somebody or a teacher or somebody like that. And the judge said, no, he's not, and there's no evidence of that. You know? Yeah, I guess it always depends what people mean by position of authority. Um, you can certainly hold people in your sp- under your spell when you're someone of note or have some notoriety yeah. or someone looks up to you and considers you, you know, a hero of theirs or what have you. So I, I don't know. That's an interesting question to even consider. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, I just find that, you know, the issue of credibility is a question of fact, which is determined by the jury who's, who is credible and who is not credible. But, but but I find that uh, the uh, the charge that he was found guilty on, uh, the complainant in that case uh, admitted uh, that she had lied to him in a secretly recorded secretly recorded telephone conversation that he had uh, that he had made with her about uh, requiring a certain medical uh, treatment after the uh, sexual assault that she had needed stitches and uh, she didn't and. Uh, He's still found guilty. I, I just find that absolutely fascinating. 
I, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't follow the trial very closely yeah. at all. I knew it was ongoing and I knew it was a big deal. Uh, but I guess he's been released until his sentence, which will happen this summer. But he's been convicted of a very serious crime and likely to do some pretty serious time. He is, and uh, there's a bail hearing uh, this morning at 10 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, deciding now if he's going to be remanded into custody or is he going to be still let out on even more stringent conditions to await sentencing uh, later this summer. But he's also facing another sexual assault charge now completely unrelated to these two oh. cases for uh, an alleged sexual assault uh, in Kirkland Lake, Ontario. And he's going to make a first appearance on that matter in August. So he's facing uh, a lot more trouble, uh, given the fact now that he's been convicted of this sexual offense. So I think the Crown is uh, uh, going to be go you know, pursuing him with a lot more rigor in the, in the second trial, uh, potentially. And if he's found guilty of a second uh sexual assault in the uh, subsequent uh, matter, um, he's going to get a lot more jail time. Oh, my. I appreciate the time this morning, Colin. Thanks for this. Thanks, Patty. Take care. Bye-bye. And then you follow along with the local trial, the Stephen Hopkins trial, where he's representing himself. It's complete chaos. And he's been spoken to by the judge many, many times for his behavior and the way that he's treating the witnesses he's calling. He had one RNC officer on the stand for a couple of days, so, you know, what they say about, you know, if you're representing yourself in a court of law, especially on serious charges like this, I know people have that legal right to do it, but when it derails the proceedings and he's treating people the way he is, then I think there's an opportunity to maybe reconsider how realistic it is for representing yourself in those types of settings. Oh, my. Let's go to line three. Caller, you're on the air. Good morning. Morning to you. How are you today? Not too bad, I suppose. How about you? Best coming. Patty, I'm touching base now uh, the, uh, for dealing with the uh, legislative stuff in the city. And uh, it, it just it baffled me uh, when, when I crossed it. Uh, like, uh, it makes you, makes you understand why people just don't, don't use the system. And, uh, and people who can't afford to. Uh, I, I know it, just what, are, what are we talking about? Well, that, that, there's three sides of every story, and so I, I had a dispute. Uh, I was doing some work for uh, the, in the city uh, the week, and uh, there was a bit of a dispute, and it came to uh, confrontation. And uh, I, and I mean, I was I double, triple checked every possible oil and crossed every T, but when when the when, when the dispute came. It was like, okay, I can I can address this uh, as as human. But I, when you, I reached out to the law, and the, and the law the law. Was, okay, was, just just before we keep going any further, so yeah. what are we talking about though? What dispute? You were on the job, or I was doing some work, and it was a, 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 a doing some repair work on a private property. Okay. And like I said, the only money goes to logistics of uh, what happened because there's there's there's, several, there's three sides of every story, right? So, and uh, but when pushed them off, it was like uh, either react to this or involve, uh, which which you would assume is the right thing, is involved a lot. And uh, I think at 
11 o'clock in the morning, I reached out and I said, listen, there's something about to happen on this property. If if, if this happens, I'm going to, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to react to it. And I, and I, at 10 o'clock the very same night, I get a phone call back from uh, the, the INC. And it was like, Imagine, imagine what would happen if I if I'd never packed up and and, and went on my way, and it, it just it, and I was trying very hard to deal with everything the, the proper way, everything top notch. I'm, I'm I'm not sure when did get educated because uh, so there was a physical encounter. I it could, it could have been if I didn't walk away. Yeah. And so, what was the end result? You you walked away uh, from it. Did you call the police? What happened? Oh, oh yes, absolutely. In the morning, and I uh, I consulted with uh, all kinds of different uh, people in different uh, roles and, and whatnot. But the bottom line was, uh, well, the jobs at a standstill right now. But uh, uh, that'll that'll get passed. But yes, it's like. I was there by myself, so I was definitely, definitely would have been the person in the wrong. And so I, I was like, I just need this handled. And the, the, it, it blew my mind. I, I understand why people just uh, don't use the system. And now I, the other option is don't spend a lot of money to prove the case or work within the dispute and if you work within the dispute it's well when people start you're saying it's like don't don't go don't go threaten me don't go threaten me and and but at the same time without a witness i mean i don't want to i don't want to go spend the night in the lockup no i mean neither do i um so I don't think any of us are really 100% sure what's going on. So when it comes to a resolution and you want and you have, have the ability to explain it a little further, you're welcome to give us a shout back. How's that work? Okay, no, no. I, 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 well, you, you don't. You, you usually say that you know legal disputes and whatnot, and that's that's what it is. It's a property line. Uh, I I triple checked. I was making sure, but I've been sabotaged. Like I, I've looked into uh, uh, filing the charge of. Um, um, destruction of intellectual property. Well, <laughs> apparently that's uh, that, that, that's a winding road because uh, it, it was. Uh, I, I went down to the St. John's okay. uh, permit office and even the, the and got educated on. Uh, and the, the 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 guy that helped me out, he was like, "You didn't even have to do that." I'm, I'm like, coming off the property long I, I don't even. It's just a neighbor over the fence is difficult. Um, and launched conflict. And I, I, I don't understand it. I, I said... The I don't either. Uh, just because I think we're all a little bit more confused. You know what you're talking about. I don't think the rest of us really quite understand what's going on. But hopefully you don't find yourself in any trouble. And if you want to give us an update when things are resolved or not, you're welcome to do that. Well, How's no, that? I, I got, I, I, Very I, I, quickly I, now, because I, nobody, I'm, I'm extremely confused. Where do, where, where do we turn? That's what I'm saying. Well, it's it's a it's a property line. Uh, okay. Dispute, but but the the thing is is, is I'm I'm 100 percent sure. Well, uh, it, there's been underhandedness on the other side. I don't even care about it to be honest. It's right. like I'm, I'm just working with, it, with inside the boundaries. But where do you turn? 
That's that's that I'm asking. That's that's the question I'm asking. Where do you turn? The the, the RNC is not going to show up unless something happens. And if something happens, it's probably going to be I'll, I'll be the bad guy. Well, the city can settle property line disputes. Uh, how? Well, they're the ones that are in charge of uh, deeming and recording and acknowledging where properties begin and properties end, where easements begin and where they end. So that's the entity that would control that. So I would do, I'd go down that path versus worry about nights in the lockup or what have you. And hopefully that doesn't happen. No, uh, but, oh, okay, but, just uh, hold uh, on a second. All right. Uh, hopefully you made your point, but I'm going to have to go now. If you have an update for us, he gives a shout back when we can understand a little bit clearer what's happening. Try the city. I did. Well, that's the only thing that pops into my mind is the next place to turn. They should be able to tell you where the property lines are. I, I, I know, I, I know where the property line. Is. Okay, uh, but uh, again. All right, all right. Just, just Take care. Thanks, you too. Bye bye. Uh, I, I mean, I'm not trying to give them the short shrift, but I just didn't really quite know what was going on. Let's take a break. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back. Let's go. Line number two. Shirley, you're on the air. Good morning, Patty. Good morning to you. I'm just going to refer. Nothing happened to me like happened to that bus driver. But I just have to say, we were at the gas station in at Costco last week. Of course, we're in the line waiting, right? And the next thing we get is this big jolt. Luckily, we were in the truck. In the truck. This man rear-ended us. So my husband got out, and he said, like, you just, just oh, he said, uh, I'm sorry. He said, I was just um, looking at my phone and fixing up my phone. And my husband said, you were? He said, you're not supposed to be using his cell phone and driving. Oh, he said I wasn't driving. But my husband said, you did hit us. Well, if you're behind the wheel uh, and the vehicle is moving, you're driving. Definitely. <laughs> my husband said, well, you did hit us. Oh, he said, I was just trying to see my cell phone. He said, you're not supposed to be driving and using the cell phone. He said, I wasn't driving. Well, my husband said, you did hit us. And his explanation was, I wasn't driving, but he hit us. Any damage? He just bumped no, you. No, luckily, we were in the truck. Now, uh, we are from our main area, so when we go to Costco in the winter, we get a snowblower, so we get gas cans, we fill up. And in the summer, of course, we have the lawnmowers. So lucky my husband wasn't outside taking out the cans. If he had to be, he would have been hit. Yep, absolutely. But the explanation was he wasn't driving, though. Yeah, well, his definition of driving is, unfortunately for him, incorrect. Exactly. So, you know, how many innocent people get hurt or killed through someone being so stupid? (laughs) And to be so stupid, say, I wasn't driving, but he hit us. And most people, if they're probably us. I probably should have said, well, should I get a whiplash now? Well, I mean, there's, it doesn't take, when you're not expecting it, it doesn't take much of a jolt to give your body a little jolt that might last with some pain for X amount of time. Because, you know, when you see something coming, you brace and the body has a funny way of being able to protect itself. But when you're just sitting there looking ahead and waiting for your turn to get some gas and bang from behind, it doesn't take much to rattle you. Well, you're like, oh my God, what was that? Yeah. My husband gets out, and, but he wasn't driving that. <laughs> he was straightening up his cell phone looking at that, but he wasn't driving. And so what's going to become of this? Nothing? Oh, absolutely nothing. Yeah. It was just my husband got out to him, and, of course, that's his explanation. I wasn't driving. 
but he hit us. Yeah, he might have to revisit not only his definition, but uh, his training to be behind the wheel. Because if you are in a vehicle and the vehicle is moving, who else is driving the car? It's not driving itself. <laughs> and we're just there sitting, waiting, waiting sure. until he gets this jolt. Would you go to what was that? Yeah, no, I, I get it. It would have given me a fright too. So I'm, it's unfortunate that it happened to you. But to the fellow who uh, did this and you think that you weren't driving, we're here to tell you that you were. And maybe it's a good idea to put the phone away while you're operating your rig. So I hope he's listening to me this morning. Yeah, me too. And he revisits what driving means and don't mean. For sure. Well, one, I'm glad there was no damage, and I, I'm glad you and your husband are okay. And, and I'm glad Buddy's okay, too, but these are easily avoidable issues. So I appreciate the time, Shirley. You're back home now in Harbour, Maine? Oh, yes. Okay, very good. Okay, thank you, Patty, very much. Have a great day. You, too. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, look, I mean, reckless driving, aggressive driving, these are all, you know, behavioral issues where you and I see it all the time, right? It's just readily apparent. Certainly, and driving around the city is just foolishness. You're getting nowhere in an absolute hurry. I'll see you at the next red light because there's red lights everywhere you turn. But the concept of distracted driving with the cell phone, I mean, it's rampant. I, I haven't done it in the recent past, but it wasn't that long ago, I guess sometime last summer, just walking down McDonald Drive, heading from my neighborhood over to Kent's Pond, and specifically looked in the windshield of every vehicle coming towards me to see how many people were on the phone. And I'm going to guess the percentage was somewhere in the neighborhood, 40%, full 40% had their eyes down in the phone. You know, I know people think that, well, it's just a very quick uh, blink down or have a quick look and, uh, you know, all should be fine and nothing's going to happen. Things happen in the bat of an eye when we're behind the wheel. I'll admit, early on when the cell phones became part of day-to-day life, I might have had a few peeks at my phone and now I just don't doesn't make me some sort of hero. It just means that I don't want to be involved in an accident that I could have avoided or a collision that I could have avoided because I was looking at my phone. Happens all the time. Anyway, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Grand Seduction. Where? On Bell Island. Don't go away. The Workday winds down with Greg Smith in the drive. Get up to speed on the day's events and current traffic, weather, and community updates each weekday afternoon on your VOCM. This is Open Line. On VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let us go. Line number one, Ken, you're on the air. Uh, good morning, Patty. How are you? Very well. Thanks for asking. How about you? Uh, pretty good. Uh, I'm calling this morning to respond to a lot of inquiries I've had in the last four or five days. And in fact, I've had several calls uh, this past uh, weekend about the situation with Dr. Ayer on Bell Island. So just to make sure everybody's aware, I know you are that uh, back last, the latter part of 2021, uh, this community in a short period of four or five months lost uh, three of its doctors. And so we were doctorless uh, for several months. We were quite fortunate in getting one of those doctors to come back to Bell Island, uh, Dr. Dr. Ayer. Uh, and what happened was uh, he signed a contract with Eastern Health to, uh, to have a locum here which is a short-term temporary contract that started April the 4th and it ends on June 17th. And my understanding was that when he signed that contract to come back here, what would happen pretty well almost immediately is there would be discussions with Eastern Health about a more permanent arrangement. So here we are now, as of today, as of this morning, I haven't heard anything from anybody in terms of public announcements, but we're 12 days away from Dr. A.R., leaving Bell Island for the second time because I don't hear any word 
about that permanent arrangement and a contract being signed for a more longer-term stay here, and that's that's concerning and alarming. Who would you expect to give you that type of information? Wouldn't that be up to the doctor himself? No, I mean, he's, he's he has an employer, and it's, it's Eastern Health. I think it should be Eastern Health that should be uh, letting this community know now that either they do have a long-term arrangement with Dr. Ayer or they don't have one, which would be pretty pretty depressing and worrisome. Uh, but we hear nothing. I think they, they, they're the prime responsibility. While we now have four healthcare uh, corporations in the province, Eastern Health is the one responsible for healthcare in the Avalon Peninsula. So I think it's, it's their part. And I, I do know uh, that there have been some discussions and negotiations in, in, in more recent weeks uh, with him. But again, we're 12 days away, and I don't think it's fair to Dr. Ayer or fear to this community, because we're, we're, we're fearful now that we're going to be doctorless again. And that, that's, as I said, that, that is concerning. So to answer your question directly, Patty, I think that's the responsibility of Eastern Health. And all along, to be, to be quite blunt about it, from the time that we lost our four doctors last year, uh, the communications from Eastern Health to this community uh, have been abysmal. In fact, they've been, they've been absent. We, we just hear via the grapevine that we're losing a doctor. Uh, it, gets, it gets around the community. There never has been any, anything from the hospital administration or from Eastern Health in terms of the state of uh, the doctor situation here. And, again, that is alarming. So, you know, we need to speak up now and begin to get somebody to make a move on this and to come to some conclusion. I mean, you know, people hate when I say this, but it just happens to be true. This quest to hire healthcare professionals is not just here. It is so competitive when we have to do such a great job. And I think you and the folks on Belle Island with your quote-unquote grant seduction to bring Dr. A.R. back was part of what's got to be the process that we all take here. It, if we're just going to rely on the regional health authorities, which, of course, soon will be amal- amalgamated into one, and or sure. the minister responsible— we're going to be waiting a long time because it's a difficult trek out there. I was speaking with one of my buddies uh, who lives in Hay River. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's not. It's not called Hay River. Right outside of Calgary, uh, to, 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 gotcha. whatever it is, and they don't have a doctor for the first time yeah. that anyone can ever remember. And here they are, just a stone's throw from one of the major cities of the country in Calgary, and they don't have a doctor. So it's yeah. strange stuff going on out there. I don't know where the answer lies. People were quick to rip Haggy apart when he talked about whether it be a bouquet of flowers or a box of chocolate or something. And I know that's oversimplifying things, but we've got to figure out a couple of things. Why the doctors are leaving so we yes. can address the issues, and we've yeah. got to figure out a really comprehensive approach that works for different communities. Again, it's one thing to uh, recruit and retain a doctor in St. John's or Cornerbrook or Gander or Grand Falls, Windsor, versus some smaller communities, and maybe communities like yours reliant on a ferry for transportation back and forth right. to the big island of Newfoundland, because one size fits all is ridiculous, and it's not going to work. So, exactly yeah, right. if you want, exactly in, right. yeah, if you need information, like everyone on Bell Island obviously would, you know, if Eastern Health has some update for you to ease the worry mind or to let you know that, yeah, in 12 days, it's over. You're back to know a doctor. It might not be the answer you want, but it's an answer anyway, so then we can take next steps to try to, to rectify it. Patty, Patty, you're exactly right. Uh, this is, it is challenging to find doctors, and it's everywhere in Canada, particularly in rural parts of Canada. I mean, just recently they did a survey in LMA uh, in the month of May and found out that it continues to rise in terms of the number of people in Newfoundland and Labrador who don't have a family doctor. I think the rate now is 24%. One in four people don't have a family doctor. Yeah. So there's more than Bell Island running into this issue of trying to get doctors to come here. So let me just say this. 
you know, there's no lineup for doctors coming to Bell Island. But we do have one who is here, who wants to be here, and is quite open and desirous of staying here. And I just think it's it's a little bit disheartening and frustrating to have him here now uh, nine weeks with only with less than two weeks left, and not to have by now a firm contract in place so that he can he can stay here. And let's face it, the public can't be party to. And I'm not going to bother Dr. A.R. or asking Eastern Health what are the negotiating points, what are the issues that are still up in the air in terms of not having a permanent contract. But it's time for, for Eastern Health to, to bite the bullet and to sit down. I mean, we can't afford it. It is going to be really frustrating and so depressing to not have a doctor, have one return, only to lose them again a second time. And I know people on this island are really concerned about it. One lady called me this week, and she's going to start a petition. Uh, perhaps we need to do something like send a delegation over to speak to this new CEO of Eastern Health. Perhaps we have to have another community meeting. You, you mentioned the Bell Island Grand Seduction. That was the case of where people on Bell Island spoke up and got Dr. Ayer back here. And perhaps uh, the people on Bell Island might need to stand up now in the next three or four days to demand that this matter be taken care of so we don't lose a doctor for the second time. Did you say that Dr. Ayer is wanting and willing to stay? Yes. No doubt about that. Quite willing and wanting to stay here. Loves it here. I mean, how lucky are we when we know there are communities where, as I said, there's no lineup for doctors who want to go there. There's no lineup for a second or third or fourth doctor who wants to come to Bell Island. Uh, we have one who was here and who wants to stay here. So please make it make it happen. I mean, you know, I know Eastern Hill keeps saying that recruitment and retention is important. Uh, the province just appointed a new assistant deputy minister, Dr. Megan Hayes, who apparently is the ADM in charge of recruitment and retention. Well, boy, it's time for Molly to get to work. We got one here. Retain them. Get off their butts and do whatever it needs to be done to keep this doctor here on Bell Island. An update would be helpful. Uh, I appreciate the time this morning, Ken. Thanks for this. Thanks for the opportunity, Patty. Pleasure. Take care. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, and uh, this just pops into my head. I'm not so sure. I haven't given it any deep thought of whether or not it makes any sense. But... Even when we talk about what's coming, so we're told anyway through the Department of, of Municipal Affairs, if you know, some so often we have government departments that are operating in their own so-called silo, and I don't know how much overlap and consideration given through various departments. You know, whether it be the issue of chronic absenteeism in school, which is not just the Department of Education, it's probably the Department of uh, Justice and the Department of Health and the Child and Youth Advocate, and others that should be working towards understanding how it's, how it's happening, why it's happening, and what we can do about it. Maybe inside the concept of regionalization, there can also be some attention given to all hands joining forces to try to recruit doctors to their region. Because when we have the, comp the competitive nature that it is, and just imagine if it's Belle Island competing with Burgio, and St. Anthony competing with Badger, or... Lewisport or wherever, as opposed to if we had a thought that, well, okay, so this regionalization issue, and please do offer your, uh, your thoughts on whether it's good, bad, fit to eat, or problematic, and we can have that chat. But then, you know, you might extend the concept of shared services, collaboration, maybe saving some costs, and no, not paying more taxes for no, ser no additional services. But if the regions were working hand in glove to deal with some of these matters that concern all of us, and Kenya's number, 24% uh, of people in the province don't have a family doctor, so says the most recent survey from the Newfoundland Labrador Medical Association. That's 125,000 people. 
The government will say, well, the, uh, the collaborative care clinics haven't had a chance to work as of yet, so whether or not they're going to be the solution or at least part of the solution isn't yet fully understood. And someone said, boy, I didn't talk about some of the big issues that have happened in the recent past, whether it be Baden Nord and West White Rose and High Bernie going back in action and Terra Nova will be back in action and all these types of things. Look, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Another emailer says, how come we're not talking about the hydrogen opportunities? Well, we are. And if you want to pick up any of those chats or anything else under the sun, you can do it after this break. Talk away. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Gus, you're on the air. Yes, good morning, Patty. Morning to you. I'm in a community in Newfoundland, and my neighbor, which is about 40 or 50 feet away, as a uh, eight animals in a little shed that's uh, say 16 by 20. Every now and again, those animals get out, and I've had to drive the goat off my land. Uh, a cow and a calf got out one day and put oils in my lawn, and and I also left a package for me out uh, on my uh, fire pit uh, pad, and to uh, uh, to pile of of manure is growing higher and higher every day and all i ask is that they clean it up and uh, no way will not clean it up just keeps putting it there and i went to my council they wrote a letter stating that they had to clean it up and uh still nothing happened so i i talked to uh i was told to contact the rcmp which directed me to uh, environment and animal welfare and everything. Uh, environment sent out a person that uh, went over and he come back to talk to me afterwards, and he said, uh, "Well, she's well within her limits to do what she's doing." And I said, "Well, would you want to live by that pile of manure and uh, the summer coming and getting hotter and you have to deal with the flies and the rats and the smell and everything else?" He said, "Well." I wouldn't mind. I uh, I like the smell of manure, and I actually have animals. And uh, my wife asked him, "Well, where are you from?" He said, "Well, I grew up in Bangladesh, and everybody had a farm there. Why would they send somebody out like that? I wonder." But anyway, I was also talking about animal welfare because they got a horse over there, they got a cow and a calf, two sheep, a goat, uh, and two pigs. And uh, I, I know in that little shed, there's not enough room to use all that. The, the, the poor horse, and it's a big horse. It, it has the door to come out to. It's lived free run, free reign, I guess. Comes out and stands in the mud for 20 minutes or hour or so, half hour or so, and goes back in again. And looks like he's, you know, bored stiff. Every Once every two weeks or so, they'll take him for a walk down the road and bring him back again. 10 minute walk and uh, so that stuff can't be legal uh, animal welfare I've been talking to them a couple of times they promised they send somebody out they have never done it the last time they were, he was supposed to be out the uh, early part of last week nobody showed up so like this can't go on and I can't understand why a person would feel entitled enough that they can do all that subject 
me and my wife to this smell and the flies and everything that's going to be terrible come July and August and have them uh, get out and run over my, uh, my my property. Like, and you know, I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do. I understand that. I'd be frustrated too. So is the person willfully allowing the animals out or they're just getting no, out? No, 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 no. They break out from time to time. They just break out. And, and since she's got no pasture... They see my uh, green line and everything. Obviously, they're going to hit there, right? Yeah, I, I would imagine they would. Like, I mean, I, when I saw the subject line, animals uh, getting on your neighbors' animals getting on your property, I didn't know what to expect. Like, I don't mind the fact that the, some of the roaming cats in my neighborhood are coming in and around my property to help control the rodents. But I don't think I'd want uh, steaming piles of manure and other farm type animals roaming around my property. Yeah, I totally get it. So, no one's going to do anything about it. It seems to be that way, uh, like, I, and I followed all routes. The first thing, well, I know the first thing you're supposed to do is go to your council, which I did. Yeah. I had a great meeting with the council. They said they would write her a letter. She hasn't moved on whatever they said on the letter uh, or nothing, and the uh, it don't help when the environment comes out and says that you're not doing nothing wrong. And I said to Buddy, I said, <laughs> look at the pile of manure there, and it's just growing all the time. And it's getting closer to my house. Like, we're only, like, 40, 50 feet apart. You know, that. Yeah. That's, and I can smell it when I'm out in my backyard. So that means the summer, I'm not going to be able to have a barbecue, go enjoy my backyard or anything, you know? And, and the, the, <laughs> it just baffles me, like I said, how anybody feels entitled to, to be able to do stuff like that and, you know, and get away with it. It's not very neighborly. I, su I suppose even if the person just made a better effort to keep the animals secure, as opposed to they're busting out all the time. Yeah, well, she's been pretty good since the, okay. the since the cow was got out. Uh, there, there's, uh, I, I think they're, they're they're they improved the little fence that they had around the back door of the uh, of the shed, and uh, and the goat hasn't been out since I told her to get it off my property one day. So. Uh, they've been pretty good there, but okay. still, the the biggest concern for me is the smell and the flies. You know, and there's going to be rats to fall, right, looking for homes. Hopefully they don't find one on your property because of your neighbor's animals. Uh, anything else you want to say this morning, Gus? No, that's about it. I appreciate making time. Hopefully you don't get all the worst-case scenarios. Thank you very much. You're welcome, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, yeah, I mean... A goat getting around is a bit different than, you know, my neighborhood cats roaming around. I actually appreciate when I see them in my backyard, to be honest. Let's go to line number one. Ron, you're on the air. Yes, good morning, Teddy. Good morning to you. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the offshore. Sure. And uh, uh, I know last week there was great announcements for the province and the offshore with uh, the restarting of uh, the project out in Argentia there. And uh, I know... Um, when this, what I want to talk about specifically was the money that was given to the offshore. Uh, I think it was like three hundred twenty million dollars. Yeah, that was federal monies in the oil and gas recovery fund. That's right. The, I think it was three hundred twenty-four or twenty-five million. Then there was an additional pot of money to do with uh, some greener initiatives for offshore companies. But anyway, yes, sir, go right ahead. Yeah, there, there was another seventy-five. I looked up a couple of things here while I was waiting in that. Right, so. Yeah. Uh, there was another seventy-five million on top of that for uh, emission control, uh, sure. carbon emission controls. Yeah. So I was wondering. I'm, I sort of know the answer to some questions, but I sort of want to pick your brain on a few things here. But uh, 
this money that was given, the $320 million to, uh, in the press release, it was like to support workers and reduce carbon emissions. It was to support companies. That's the unfortunate part of it for me, is that that money didn't go directly to workers. It went to companies. Yes, and that, that's sort of where I was sort of going to with my phone call today, is that I know, like I said, I called in Friday, actually, and fans called me back this morning. So I had the weekend. I looked over a few things and, and just, you know, I wouldn't call it research, but, you know, I was on Google and stuff, right? So, uh, you know, when I was looking through different things there, I see the companies all lined up. And, and I know when Energy NL was on the week and, uh, you know, all the companies are lined out and you see the banners in behind with the company names up there. And, and when I looked through things, uh, I was thinking, like, like some of my buddies, like I did work in the offshore one time. I'm not there. I got laid off, so not working now or nothing, but um, uh, the companies that lined up for the money, like I'm looking through the things, I'm thinking like, and I took a few notes there, like one company got, uh, 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 just let me just look up my note here again, you know, the fixed containers that go offshore. They got like $200,000 to fix the containers like that are on the supply boats, right? You know, those containers had to be fixed anyway, you know. Uh, another company got a half million to build a tank firm. Another company got like $700,000. I don't know if you're familiar with pipe, but, you know, you put the pipe together, you got to put lubrication on it in the threads and that. And, you know, another company got 700000 to install this automated, automated, automated uh, lubrication applicator. You know, Hibernia got like $38 million. Husky got $41 million. And a couple of my buddies I was talking to, they're trying to get in and do the BSC course. And... One buddy I was talking to, he was laid off, and he's off for a few years or whatever and all that stuff, right? And um, he did the best he could do to work. He went to unemployment. He got 13 weeks unemployment and got cut off because that was his eligibility for whatever. I couldn't even believe it. And what course did weeks. they want to go do? Pardon me? What course did they want to go and do? Like, say, the BST course, because the, the, you got to have the survival course to go offshore. Oh, okay. I didn't know what BST stood for. So Yeah, uh, basic survival training. Yep. And that's when you do the dunker and you know, all this stuff, firefighting and first aid. Now, if you do the refresher course, it only costs you like, I don't know, maybe 1200 bucks or something. It's a three-day course. But his course expired. Now he's got to pay like $2,500. And I was talking to him there a couple of weeks ago, and he said, Jesus, like my unemployment's cut off. I'm trying to go through EI to get some money. I only got 13 weeks EI. Now I'm trying to come up with some money to do the course to get in on the offshore again with the new rig that just came here and everything. And the hiring company or one of the hiring companies here are telling them, like, okay, if you apply to us, we'll pay for your training. But if you don't work out, you got to pay for your training. It's like a little, what do you call it, a caveat, is it, in the, in the, yep. in the, in the contract that you got to sign with the company kind of thing, right? And I'm having the conversation with Buddy, and I'm thinking, geez, did anyone get any money, to, like the union, like Unifor or – like twenty one twenty one, or did any? Is there any money out there that you guys got like for doing? He said, "Nope." Uh, I don't think so. Uh, if I remember correctly, almost two hundred and ninety million went to companies that had current operations offshore, and the rest of it went to supply related companies. Nothing for individuals, you know. Even if they had to set aside some money for allowing people to get subsidized to do that course, or if they wanted to do some training to maybe move on to a different type of career, you know, with some of their skill sets that oh, they have sure. to work offshore. Maybe yeah. if some people thought, well, I don't know, the, the industry looks a little bit precarious at this point. Why don't I consider doing something else and get some support from the government? But no, nope, it all went to the corporate entities. Yeah, even if someone that worked offshore, even if say they wanted, they didn't have to go make a. a a wind turbine like like green energy maybe you might want to go and be a carpenter I whatever 
Yeah. And but they're transitioning out of the oil industry. But this and like this three hundred and twenty million that uh, say like you know like I said Husky or Synovus is called now whatever. Like for that project, like you know they got like if I'm not mistaken from what I looked at here, it's forty one point five million. Yep, that's the number. What was that money spent on? Don't know. It was intended at the beginning to uh, keep some 331 jobs in place, which never happened. But, you know, the argument can be made that that money allowed some of the work to continue or some of the design work and maybe is part of the reason why Synovus has now greenlit it and putting the $3.2 billion investment into it. I don't know. It, it's no real easy way to tell how that money was spent. But, I mean, $38 million went to uh, Hibernia yes, and to resume jobs. Yeah. And 200 and something went to uh, the FPSO, I believe. Yeah, well, there was a, a different deal associated with Terranova and the FPSO as well regarding royalties in the future. So it wasn't just out of that recovery fund money that uh, Suncor got some cash. It was also a renegotiated plan with the, pro- with the province as well. With, with the royalties and everything, yeah. 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 But, you know, the, the, the bottom line to me here, when, when, you know, like I hear you say sometimes, the robber hits the road, I'm seeing my buddy kicking a tin can down the sidewalk in front of the unemployment office, and he's wondering where he's going to get it. And he got a couple of kids, too, and he's trying to figure out where he's going to get this money. He can go in servitude to a local hiring company as long as he keeps his nose clean and the boss likes him and he don't get fired or quit or something happens that he can't fulfill his obligation and then get saddled with Because not only the survival course, you got to do like a first aid course, the firefighting course, all these courses to make him eligible to go offshore again because everything is expired now, right? Mm-hmm. And he couldn't even do it while he, was, uh, while he was off for that two years unless he paid for it out of his own pocket. And even like the like the union, like Unifor, like a lot of these workers are not in Unifor, like the union that's here for offshore, uh, twenty one twenty one. Yeah. But uh, you know, even if they had given them some money to take pe- care of people that weren't union members, even or something like that, I don't know what the answer is. But well, someone just sent me an interesting email. I'm not sure your buddy knows about this. This uh, person says you can put down a down payment of $500, do the course, and then pay in full once you're hired. There's a website that he uh, associated this uh, plan with. So if you send me an email, I'll send you that website. You can pass it along to your pal. Maybe that'll be helpful. Okay. Yeah, so F-O-C-M. drop me a quick com, note. Uh, Openlinefocm.com. I'll simply send you the email address, uh, pardon me, the website that this fellow sent along. Yeah. Well, anyway, I don't know if uh, if anyone phones from Energy NL or from Unifor or anything like that, if you could, you know, take some of this information and just run it by him and maybe other people like that guy just sent you the emails or the website stuff. Uh, but at the bottom line with the, with this, you still got to pay for it yourself out of your own pocket, you know, oh, yeah. 500 up front and then pay the rest later when you get working. But, you know, it still goes back to this 320 million. Like, why wasn't some of this put aside for these guys, right? So, Point you know. taken. I understand in full. Send me that quick note and I'll zip you off that uh, website address. Okay, thank you, Patty. You're welcome, Ron. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That industry is just, you know, talk about volatility. A couple of years ago, and I think one of the ladies who was interviewed in the story I read this morning, uh, Karen Hocko, she said a couple of years ago, the industry fell, it just fell off the cliff, right? It was just everything was going in the wrong direction if you're an oil and gas industry supporter. I'll put that out there. So there was nothing going on and little to no exploration. One hole drilled for exploration purposes. That was the Chinese National Oil Company. That came up dry. Hibernia shutting down. Terranova shutting down. Some concerns that West White Rose would never pick back up. You know, still lots of unknowns regarding Bader Nord. Now, all of a sudden, 
Hibernia's going back drilling. There's some more exploration happening. Equinor's out in the Flemish Pass doing it. Uh, BP's doing some exploration. West White Rose is going. Peter Nord's been given a green light. The decision for final sanctioning has not been made by Equinor, but it went from nothing to all of a sudden feels like they've rebounded 180 degrees. It's really interesting to watch, but I think that just speaks to the volatility uh, of the industry itself. Let's go ahead and take a break. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. This is Open Line on VOCM. Uh, welcome back to the program. Let's go to line number three. Wayne, you're on the air. How are you this morning? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm calling concerning the, the uh, Atlantic Lottery, the Lotto Max. Last, I don't know if you followed the, the winner's list on the, on the website, but last, last week alone, ALC won three times. And on the, the extra millions... Who won three times? Atlantic Lottery Commission. Okay, just, I don't really follow much to do with it. So, on Lotto Max, the corporation itself won something? The, on the, when you go on, on to check your numbers, yeah. you can also get a list of where the winners were for the, the millions and the, the jackpot and everything else. Sure. So, when, when I checked the list, Atlantic Lottery won three of the of the million dollar prizes they they split it with with a like there was one one guy from from bc that that won one of the millions but he only got five hundred thousand dollars because atlantic lotto took the other five hundred thousand how does that work uh, this is what i want to know okay so i just clicked on just so i can follow along with the uh the story here okay prize payout max Millions. That's what it's called, right? Yep. All right, so it goes down the list, and it's BC, BC, Ontario, Summerside, Prince Edward Island, Ontario, BC, da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, okay, I see the one you're talking about. One British Columbia, one ALC, New Brunswick. And uh, that's the only one I see, but I'm sure it's not the only time it happens. I have no earthly idea what that means. None. I'm just, you know, as far as I'm concerned, if, if uh, that winner from BC and Cape Breton or whatever... Uh, one one the million dollars in Atlantic Lotto. You you go to Atlantic Lotto buy a ticket, and uh, the clerk makes a mistake or you don't get the ticket that you wanted, so he voids that ticket. Atlantic Lotto comes in and picks up that ticket. Oh. Morning, and and they claim that prize. Oh. Is right. So someone says the means the winning ticket was purchased online, but what difference would it make if I walked into Marie's or bought it online? If I have the ticket, I bought the ticket. So you're saying that if I, the person behind, there's lots of people calling now. This I guarantee is about Lotto Max. So hold on, hold on, Franz. So if I am given a ticket that I didn't want and they void it, you mean that that is still an active ticket, but it's in the hands of the Atlantic Lotto Corporation? Yes. Oh, so that's how they got $500,000. Okay. But they didn't buy the ticket. Well, I don't know. Did they? <laughs> why? Why should they be entitled to five hundred thousand dollars when, you know, it's it, weird. I don't. I can't explain it. Just no. I'm just letting your listeners know that 
this is the way the Atlantic Lottery operates. Well, I'm being told, and Fonz just says we're getting lots of calls. It's like the phone blows up sometimes. You never know what's going to be of interest to folks. Apparently, this is something to do with buying it online. I'm going to look through the rules, but I just don't know. I mean, I've never bought a lottery ticket online. I only sometimes buy them when I'm in the shop and see the big jackpot. So, yeah, I've got, uh, I think, about a dozen in a row notes and emails and tweets and everything saying it's because it's something to do with online purchasing. I don't know why that would make any difference. Well, also what I'm wondering is if one of those tickets that were returned were the $70 million. It's not that at all. Okay. Would Atlantic Lotto still claim the $70 million? No, apparently here's how it goes. And this person here is quite sharp, and they just sent me what the – what this is about so the guy who bought it in bc he got it at the shop the person in new brunswick got it at alc.ca so it's not that the alc alc got the money is that the the person who had the same ticket winning max million ticket in bc the person in new brunswick happened to buy it online they both split five hundred thousand each that's what this person says and i think this person understands they might be lotto cracked themselves so that's the best explanation that's been offered to me thus far How's well, that sound? <laughs> I don't know. You know when? Why don't why don't they instead of saying that it's uh, ALCNL, why not just say that it was purchased? It actually says ALC.ca, uh, comma New Brunswick. So that that yeah. winner happens to be in the province of New Brunswick. They bought their ticket online at ALC.ca. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, I hope that's the the case, and that, that Looks the like lottery it. commission is actually taking that money. Yeah, I don't think they are. Uh, and I actually know someone who works at the ALC. I can drop a quick note to have it verified. But that explanation that's been offered to me, that makes sense. It just so happened to be an online purchase. And whoever bought that ticket from the ALC.ca, they get the 500 grand. The Lottery Corporation has nothing to do with it. That makes sense. Yeah. I'll verify it, but I think that's the case. Just a joke here. My wife, my wife wants to know if Bruno was one of the winners in Cape Breton. Uh, if he was, Bruno owes me lunch at least. <laughs> at the very least thanks a lot Wayne appreciate this thank you very much take care bye bye okay, yeah I mean I I admit freely I don't know a lot about the lotto right every now and then I buy a ticket but that is absolutely I'll verify through my friend but 100% that's what it is that person simply bought their ticket online through the ALC.ca and they got their winnings they happen to live in the province of Nova Scotia along with the person who bought a winner and the winning numbers were 6 10 13, 14, 27, 33, 43. That's that Maximilian. We're taking a break. Don't go away. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. (laughs) Welcome back to the program. You know, Sometimes I get up in the morning and I try to prepare, especially for the the preamble off the top. You never know what's going to pique people's interest. You never know what topics are going to be uh, of any concern to anybody listening to the show. Well, I tell you what, inside 30 seconds, between fonts getting phone calls, emails, private messages, texts, just tweets, I got no less than 100 regarding Lotto Max and ALC.ca. So, you want to talk about the lotto? Because <laughs> apparently people are into it. Look, lottery, bingo, bingo for sure. Keno, scratch tickets, X's and O's. 
Man, that was great. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> Let's uh, keep going on line number four. Good morning, Lisa. You're on the air. Good morning, Patty. How are you? Um, <laughs> I'm doing okay, thank you. How about you? I'm all right. Um, just a little rant for you this morning. Fire away. Um, <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. So let's start with the, how this scenario went. Last Sunday morning, I get a phone call from my son. He's usually not good when he calls me. He wants money or something like that. But this one was, Mom, I was in an accident. So the first thing out of my mouth, are you okay? Sure. He's like, okay. He's good. I'm like, okay. And I said, what happened? So he explained to me that he was involved in a hit and run. So obviously he didn't get any information from the driver because it was a hit and run. It was like 11 o'clock Sunday morning. Um, police were involved. Report was done. Whatnot. Car was towed. Give the insurance company a, give it a day just to have a look at the car. Give the insurance company a call. And they tell me that just from me describing to them what is wrong with the car, that it's rode off. I'm like, okay, now this is not my first time. Accidents have been involved and things like that. But then she proceeds to tell me that I'm getting nothing for the car. Um, I asked why. She said, because I didn't have collision. So I explained to this lady, like, you know, okay, well, we have insurance. It was a hit and run. I have a police report. Give her the report number. She asked me for the constable's name. Uh, God love me, should have been a doctor because I couldn't pick out his writing. And she proceeds to tell me that, nope, you're getting nothing. Just take the car to the door. So, so what did you have? You just had public liability on the car. Right. It's it's an 09 Civic. You know, I'm not going to put a lot of insurance on it because it is an 09. But isn't there a no-fault policy somewhere along the lines here? Like, you know, well, he's involved in a hit-and-run. You can't get any information because she ran away or drove away, we'll say. Uh, the police did tell my son that they believe this is the second time this car has been involved in a hit-and-run. And the insurance company says, nope. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Replacement costs can only be covered if, for instance, if you had uh, if, if it caught on fire, and then you had fire coverage beyond public liability. And collision is absolutely the replacement that you're looking at now. No fault is, uh, and not to be a smartass, but no fault is a bit of a misunderstood type of insurance. It doesn't mean that you weren't at fault. It just means that you only have to deal with your own insurance company, and so any reimbursement or compensation, whether it be replacement cost of a vehicle or the in or an injury means you just deal with your company and the risks are covered by your company it just makes the claims r much quicker and it deals with a lot of administrative costs before the no fault type of insurance was in place we had the ridiculous thing called uh tort insurance so if i was at fault in an accident i was 100 percent liable and the other driver could sue me on top of the insurance claim that was made. So no fault doesn't mean that your son did nothing wrong. It simply means that no fault insurers deal with their own company and nobody else. That's all that means. Gotcha. Yeah. It, 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 it's sort of a weird way to put it, isn't it? Because it really does lead you to believe, well, I'm not at fault, so consequently it's no fault. And right. it's, it's misleading. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, just let listeners know, you know, Check your policy. Make sure you have collision because that covers you if this happens again. 
Like, I don't want to see some other family in the same predicament. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's disheartening because Lord knows insurance is expensive. Yes. And, you know, now I just have to take the car. Now it is no nine Civic, but <laughs> now I just have to take the car and just send it off to the dump. Yeah, you might be able to get a few bucks from uh, some of the companies out there that are in that business. I don't know how badly it's damaged. But yeah, that's there's, great. <laughs> there's a couple of yards, you know, like you go to, a, oh, my God, just jumped right. Like out. A1 and Vatchers and those Vatchers, yeah, exactly right, Vatchers. Right? Yeah. But I just want listeners to know, you just, you know, you, you think you're covered, but sometimes you're not, Right. So it's it's sometimes a good idea just to call your insurance company and say, listen, what do I have exactly, and what am I covered? Yeah, you know what I mean? Public liability is basically protection so that if someone else is injured, the so-called third party, it protects you mm. uh, from any claims for their injuries or what have you. So that's all right. it really covers, as far as I understand. I don't think it covers anything else. But yeah, it's always important to know what kind of coverage you got, whether you're talking about your your vehicle or your home or your cabin or as a renter. You know, ask the questions because there's nothing worse, I imagine, than getting caught off guard after the fact and finding out that you weren't covered for something that you maybe thought you were. So as much exactly. as it's expensive sometimes, it's a there's a lot to be said for better safe and sorry when it comes to how we're insured. Yeah, no kidding. All right, Petty. Well, thank you very much for listening to me and uh you have a great day. Yeah, you too. Give Dennis Batcher a call. See if you can if there's any value left to that 09 Civic. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks Teddy. You're welcome, Lisa. Take care. Thank right. you. Right, Bye now. On. Yeah, insurance is a tricky racket, boy, isn't it? And, you know, I'm not suggesting anybody over-insure if there's ever such a thing, but knowing what you're covered for is pretty helpful stuff. You know, even we've had many of these discussions in the past, probably on the heels of storms. So when you had, for instance, a backup into your home, sewer backup or otherwise, even just fresh water backing up into the home. You know, there are certain things that people take for granted or just assume that we've got the coverage, but you might not have what you think you have. So even if you go back to your provider, your broker, and ask very specific questions about what is covered and how your automobile insurance works and some of the no forgiveness stuff uh, or forgiveness components and windshield coverage and those types of things there's a lot to it and sometimes we all many of us do the same thing right you do the shop around you'll get on the phone and you'll get a quote from one company or another and you'll get three and you make up your mind and sometimes it just even if we didn't ask very specific questions about what the coverage is and what it looks like we simply just get what's the premium right maybe not a whole lot discussed beyond simply what's the premium because we're price point sensitive and things are getting away from us. So I, I get it. We're going to focus in on the dollar amount, but I think the next important question is exactly what am I covered for or against. All right, let's check in on the Twitter box. We are VOCM Open Line. You can follow us there. Uh, we're also taking your emails. It's openline at VOCM.com. And here's an update here. Da, da, da. Oh, the Kidney Foundation. Listen, uh, oh, pardon me, listen. Lisa, if you're still listening, the Kidney Foundation will give you a $500 tax credit for the car. How that works, I'm not sure, but that might be helpful to you. So we'll pass that along uh, just like we just did to Lisa, who's got the 09 Civic that's been involved in an accident. And I forgot to mention off the top, because I know it's a massive effort goes into it, congratulations to all hands involved in pulling off the annual Janeway Telethon. 
So they, as of last night, had raised some 2.7 plus million dollars, had a set goal of 2.5, so they did very, very well. I know there's a lot to the behind-the-scenes production, and for everyone who volunteered their time uh, working the phones or on air and what have you, again, it's great that it happens annually, but, you know, when you think about it, between the Janeway Foundation and the Healthcare Corporation, you know, all the monies that's raised outside of government monies funneled into different areas of healthcare. You know, your generosity blows me away all the time when we do the radiothons and what have you. All right, uh, today's a good day to get on the program, possibly, even if you want to talk about the lotto. It's 273-5211 if you're in the St. John's metro region. Elsewhere, outside, it's what, 1-800? Is it one eight eight eight? I say it every morning. How can I? I can't remember it at 11 o'clock. one eight 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 five ninety vocm That's 8626. We're taking a break and then we're coming back. The Workday winds down with Greg Smith in the drive. Get up to speed on the day's events and current traffic, weather, and community updates each weekday afternoon on your VOCM. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to the program. I'm sticking with the uh, ALC theme here for just a second, and I think I spoke to it last, uh, last week as well. Is, yes, the return, the revenue that comes from the ALC to the province, which I think I remember to be some $94 million, it was last year. It's good money, but of course there's a societal issue associated with gambling. Now, quite clearly, if you didn't have a regulated quasi-arms-reach government authority like the ALC, then people would gamble anyway. There's opt-in opportunities to gamble online, for instance. So it's not like if there was no such thing as the ALC, then the issues surrounding gambling wouldn't be part of our community. And, of course, it becomes an addiction for many, and it can lead you into an absolute spiral, not only financially, but how many families have been broken up because of gambling debts, and, you know, using your life savings to deal with the gambling debt, and or just every single check goes right into a VLT, for instance. And then there's the whole issue surrounding the federal government is now allowed for single-game betting, which has meant an awful lot more people may be interested in because it's hard to pick three winners on the same ticket to win a few bucks. But now with the single-game stuff, you can tell quite clearly when you watch TV. It is all the rage. And I'm going to guess, and I'd like to see some numbers gathered by the federal government and or the provinces, is just how many more people are gambling or how much more money is being spent on in particular, sports betting, because it is, it's is—it's actually really annoying watching a game now, and that's all they talk about. Gone are some of the stat intervals. It's all about the betting odds and the prop bets, and they're changing throughout the game. It's all a bit much, but, you know. And then the ALC talks about expanding their, their services, or pardon me, their offerings. Because, again, the amount of money spent through the Atlantic Lotto Corporation pales in comparison to money spent by people in Atlantic Canada with other outlets, other organizations, the offshore books and the like. So, anyway, let's go to line number one. Jerry, you're on the air. Good morning. How are you? Great. Thanks for asking. How about you? I'm good, thank you. Just wanted to call in regards to the um, truckers having their teddy bear uh, parade this year. Sure. Um, they, I know it was advertised this morning, or you, you mentioned this morning. There is $37,000, which was really, really good. Um, the other part, the part that was really even better than that was the amount of participation from um, just people, I was like the truck drivers themselves, the families, um, the people that as we were driving along, they were parked on the side of the road uh, in their cars, blowing horns. And at, less, at one count, I had 74, but there was more behind that. So I was going to say there's probably around 80 some odd trucks there. 
but just the fact that all the communities in different places were out and waiting and appreciating them was um, was worth just watching. The whole conversation surrounding trucks, truck drivers, has been a weird one over the last year, hasn't it? You know, we yeah. went from beating on pots and pans to celebrate frontline workers and the truckers who we rely on, and certainly in this province, a heavy reliance on the trucking industry. And then it went down the protest road, and then it went down the vaccine road, and then it went down this road. So it's just been a real strange world. Add in then the marine Atlantic issues surrounding double birthing, yeah. what have you. But yeah. look, we've had a real, uh, we should have, and we did, celebrate the industry and the truckers. And so something like this, hopefully we can get back on track because it's actually interesting that it's referred to as the annual teddy bear convoy because convoy's kind of been hijacked by other other thoughts or agendas as well. So good on the truckers who participated, and that's a big sum of money that they raised, so good for them. It is, and and, um, they're pretty resilient, I guess, is the best thing to say (laughs) as far as the drivers go. But... um, it, it is getting better than it was. You know, we were they were pretty feeling pretty down there for a while, but hopefully it'll come back to where it was before. Yeah, hopefully so, because that's where it belongs, right? You know, people as individuals can have their own thoughts or opinions on government policy or whatever, and please do, because that's kind of what the country is about, having your own opinion, you're able to offer it, and lumping everybody into one category isn't helpful either. So no, not fair. good on them for doing what they did yesterday. Good stuff. Okay, just wanted to uh, give a few kudos on my behalf. Take care. You too, Jerry. All the best. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Regarding the insurance issue and no fault and public liability and collision and fire and theft and all the rest, this from a fellow who absolutely knows what he's talking about. Uninsured motorist coverage should help out this lady, uh, so we'll pass that along to Lisa as well. If she's not listening, we'll get in touch with her and give her that one. That's Section D, says Fonts. We'll go Fonts. This is insurance industry knowledge. Let's go to line number two. Glenda, you're on the air. Oh, hi, Patty. Hi. I, I had never talked online before, but that doesn't matter this morning. Uh, it's quite urgent for me, and uh, we're brokenhearted here. Uh, our little uh, Siamese cat, well, she's got Siamese long hair. Uh, the postman said you should call Patty, so that's why <laughs> I'm calling you in, ur- in an urgent uh, hope that the word get out more. She's never been outdoors, and so she's kind of a... Um, uh, you know, a small kind of a cat with the, and she's cream color in the body, brown hair, uh, brown head and tail, and beautiful turquoise blue eyes. She's just strikingly beautiful. And uh, so, but she's not used to outdoors. Um, and uh, I'm afraid that, and, and of course she didn't have her collar on when she got out. So I just wanted to get the word out there that up and around the Bugler area and that area of um, Tupper Street, all those uh, areas, actually. I'm frightened that she's... Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling here now because I'm so worked up and, and so uh, upset about this. That's okay, Glenda. I understand. It's not my cat. I was caring for her. Oh, my. Okay, so you take a deep breath. I'll give you a chance mm-hmm. to just relax there for Thank a second. Thank you. So... If you're in and around that part of that's the East End of St. John, so anywhere between Pearson Street and Topper and everywhere yes. in and around there, All keep those your eyes peeled. Will the cat respond yeah, to a, a name? Even to Logie Bay Road, really. Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, so hopefully she she would not have gone that far. But it's just so so uh, uh, hopeless to me. That, but I don't want to lose hope. 
But, uh, you know, I, I, I grabbed at it, and he said, you should, and he's doing something. He said that he and another partner I, I spoke to as well in Postal, uh, I have to commend them for it. Uh, they, you know, I don't know what they can do, but they're all around the city in certain areas, so they'll probably, uh, you know, very likely, uh, you know, keep an eye open at least. So I really appreciate it. I won't keep the, the lines open now for this because uh, uh, I'm sure the public is not – uh, too concerned about this. Likely, oh, I don't but, know, Glenda. I mean, they uh, can hear. Well, I know. That's, that's probably wrong for me to say that because I think people do care. Obviously, a lot of people care about animals, and so scratch that. But I'm just all worked up here now, and I don't know what I'm saying, to tell you the truth. So uh, I guess you can relate a bit. So, uh, don't you worry, Glenda. Uh, yeah. What's the cat's name? It's uh, Pandora. Pandora. So That's let's extend the, the coverage area. Portal Cove Road over to McDonald Drive Junior High, down yes. to McDonald Drive, Logie Bay, yes, Goswell, Tupper. She could have wandered. Any of those wooded areas too, probably, you know, looking for birds or whatever. Thanks so very much, uh, Patty. Okay, so do you want to give her a number? Just people can call us if they find the you, cat? Uh, they, can, you, they can, yes. Okay. 7545760. Five seven six zero seven five four. Okay, yeah. and uh, one suggestion that is uh, usually offered here is to put the cat's litter box up by the door. And oh, okay. Yeah, th that's and somebody else said to put my daughter's uh, piece of clothing out. She's away, by the way, and uh, so you know this is why this is all happening. But um, yes, that's a good idea too, Patty. I thank you very much for that. Anything now? I'm grabbing uh, for you know lifesavers. One hundred percent. Do you use Facebook yeah. by chance? Uh, no, I don't myself, but uh, my daughter does, uh, not my other daughter. So she may, I think she's doing things like putting posters around already or getting them ready to do that. And she's also called the, uh, the other uh, SPCA and various connections. I guess it's a wonderful setup that they have to uh, trace and try to help the people find their animals, you know. Yeah, on you Facebook know, they have some You know all luck. this, of course, because you know everything. Anyway. I don't know anything. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing now. It's good to feel like a little laugh. But anyway, thanks again, uh, Patty, and uh, wish wish us all good luck on this. Yeah, so there's all kinds of suggestions, a piece of the clothing, the litter box, maybe a little bit of food, even though the food one yes, is... Yes, that was another kind of, thing. That was yeah. Those three things, uh, I think, if she comes by, uh, that will uh, do the trick, I guess. Okay. But, uh, you know, I'll have to keep my hopes up on that. Yeah, please do. Okay. Yeah, keep yeah, up, right. keep up the, the the faith that Pandora yeah, will be there, found. Yes, it's only been a couple hours, so okay. even though she doesn't know about traffic and that, you know, I have got to put the, that in the back of my mind, way back, and not dwell on that. Anyway, all right. <laughs> well, I'm going to change my walk route. I usually make my way to Kenspawn. Maybe I'll just uh, zip around uh, yeah. the neighborhood a bit. Uh, she's quite recognizable. She's just absolutely handsome a little kitten. Or not a kitten, but she's a small cat and long brown hair. She's just beautiful. So anyway, uh, she's quite distinctive in that area. But anyway, <laughs> thank you. I'm a little bit nervous. You did great, Glenda. Pandora's coming home. Don't upset worry. Upset mostly. Okay, thanks so very much, Patty, uh, you and your crew. Thank you, Glenda. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Yeah, you know, boys, one thing, you know, and looking after the cattle. Oh. So in and around that area, keep your eyes peeled for a very recognizable Pandora, and hopefully that could be a happy ending to that particular story. I know she's nervous. Uh, let's take a break. Vance, do you have something to say to me or just want to get to the break? Let's take a break. When we come back, we're speaking with you. Don't go away. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. This is Open Line 
on VOCM. Welcome back to the program. Well, of course, every issue will bring upon different opinions, you know, based on who you are, where you are. I read an interesting uh, opinion that was offered up to the SEEB regarding the tax on sugary drinks, which is coming into effect here in the province on the 1st of September. And this person, her position was that it will save lives. And maybe it will. You know, the whole business, you know, someone will call it a tax grab, but of course, you know, coming up with public policy regarding healthy population and active lifestyle and what have you is going to be imperfect at best, at the very best. We know, and this is not judgmental because I'll have a drink of pop, is we've got some concerns with our intake, our diet, our sedentary lifestyle, and then, of course, the health care outcomes that we see. But some of the exemptions associated with the tax on sugary drinks are also of some potential concern, like most things, in moderation. I mean, we do rely, whether it be our brains and our muscle, on sugar. Now, too much sugar, I think, is arguably bad for you. Of course it is. But does it actually get the intended outcome? I know there's going to be concerns with jobs and distribution and all the rest of it. But when the government anticipates, and it'd be nice to have a number for comparison purposes, if they anticipate raising some $9 million annually because of this $0.20 per litre tax, how much are they bringing in at this moment in time? Because if at this moment it's $50 million, and $9 million will see an appreciable drop in the numbers of people consuming that particular sugary product. But it also kind of says that they acknowledge that it might not work like it's intended to. So that's the question I have for the Department of Finance, is we must have some associated number with the amount of taxes paid and the amount of product consumed, whether that be through the private sector that's in the business of pop, uh, to understand what $9 million looks like. Is it a forecasted real drop in the numbers of people and the amount they consume of these particular beverages? And there's a bunch of different exemptions offered, and I, I'm sure you know what they are. And even in the diet world, it's not ideal. It's less dangerous, dangerous than the amount of sugar added to the full bore, the leaded version of one of your favorite pops or another. But that tax on sugary drinks has been contentious, to say the least. And it's actually a really interesting article, that, that woman, the opinion piece, that that woman read or wrote, pardon me, saying, it will save lives. I guess that's something we should, hopefully, the intended outcome. Where it has worked. And this is not, uh, I have friends in the pop business, but when the tax was applied to the manufacturer, the producers, in an effort to have them lower their sugar content, consequently, regardless of your purchasing habits, your, it, your consumption of sugar was lowered because there was less sugar in the product. So that kind of makes sense to me too. All right, let's go to line number one. Edward, you're on the air. Yes, uh, good morning, Patty. Morning. How, how are you? I'm not too bad. Thanks for asking. How about you? Oh, I'm doing very well. Uh, I want to make a comment now this morning, and it's probably in a lot of circles probably going to be a bit controversial, and I don't really mean it uh, that way, and I hope people – I hope I'm able to convey my message without people taking it the wrong way. So the onus is on me. Um, I told your producer there that I wanted to speak to, to uh, LGBTQ, and I'm not sure the rest of the – acronym that Jews rights in our society today and uh, I'm not a member of that community but uh, I uh, fully support all the rights that they've been uh, these people have been given and fought for over the years fully support it's long overdue that they deserve that they absolutely deserve 
without question mm-hmm. i don't question that whatsoever because many too many people in the past have been persecuted and and probably even killed for for uh their sexual orientation so i i'm trying to make clear that i totally agree with that but here comes the but one thing that i absolutely totally take exception to and i know this is not a local thing it's a worldwide thing but i really it upsets me that this community of people have claimed a rainbow the beautiful rainbow that we all love and like to see and it's always used in many many different uh, representations but they this community and i'm trying to be as <laughs> just i think we know where you're coming from uh, edward but uh, why just, why would that upset yeah. anybody that they are using different colors to represent inclusivity well, not the, the different colors. It's the colors of the rainbow. Right. I mean, from uh, I, I I think yes, you can. They could come up with some sort of a color scheme or some kind of a symbol. But I mean, the rainbow is universal. Everybody loves the rainbow. Everybody knows what a rainbow is, and it's been taken. And in our society now, it represents one thing. And you know what that thing is. And I take exception to it. But, I I mean, a rainbow is just a phenomenon, a meteorological phenomenon, and nobody owns it or can necessarily co-opt it. I think rainbows have been used as uh, symbols of inclusivity and hope in different communities, in different countries, for different issues over the year, not simply LGBTQ rights. I mean, and I think they're trying to use it in a very positive light, is that we can all belong under the one rainbow and all have the same hopes and aspirations and rights and the way people are treated all under the one rainbow, as opposed to it's simply a gay thing. Well, uh, you may be right, and I may be totally wrong, but um, that's that's my take on it. Uh, I mean, we've seen pictures on, uh, I've seen it on TV, and you probably did too, uh, a couple of years ago when they started using a painting crossbox in the colors of the rainbow uh-huh. and and people were spitting on it because that was data certainly didn't feel it was a symbol of inclusivity inclusivity now i know that person probably had anti uh homosexual or whatever term you want to use tendencies uh but i just think that the rainbow should have been left like it was and not used as a symbol for this particular community of people. That's just my opinion. That's okay. Your your opinion is is, is fair ball. You know, I don't think anybody necessarily owns. Now, it may have become a front of mind or a subconscious uh, thought that when people see the rainbow, they equal it with... uh, the pursue for LGBTQ rights. I, maybe that's the case. I don't know. I've never really given it a whole lot of thought. But no. of course, the rainbow will be used in different forms and fashions for a variety of things. I mean, all the way from on a serial box to in this right for equal and equitable treatment in society. When people take it upon themselves to spit on the uh, multicolored crosswalk, it has nothing to do with the rainbow. Is your right, and I will stand.
stand by this one. They have a problem, period, with people's sexual orientation. Even though I've never really quite understood what that means. Like, I don't know why anyone cares that someone has a certain sexual orientation. Like, I don't get it. I will never fully understand why people are so up in arms about those things. Because basically, for me, who cares? Uh, Live and let live. Absolutely agree. I mean, <laughs> what anyone else does in the, their own bedroom, uh, I think Pierre Trudeau said the state has no business in the bedrooms of the nation. <laughs> I agree with that. And like I said, I'm not against uh, gay or lesbian or whatever term rights. Uh, well deserved and sh- uh, well overdue. But uh, uh, my opinion is the rainbow should have been left out of it. You know what's fascinating? I just when we're talking, and I just I wasn't looking at my screen. I was just talking with you, and then I appear over, and it's a painting. It's called Rainbow by Tom Thompson. He painted it in 1916, and uh, it's under a, a Twitter account I follow called Canadian Paintings. So I just found it to be an interesting coincidence that here we are talking about something like a rainbow, and I look to my screen, and there's a rainbow. So it's been represented in different ways by different people in different eras and different communities and different countries over the years and i've i've always thought that it it made just so much sense when we're talking about living under the one sky living under the one sun living under the one rainbow it's so patently unfair and absurd that so many member pe- so many people's under said meteorological phenomenons are not the same they're not treated the same and we oh. make flimsy arguments as to why that's the case and it, you know what it ends up doing it drags us all so far down these made up societal divides are going to be the death of us it's not going to be the right. virus, and it's not going to be, you know, the moronic politicians. It's going to be we have got these divides that people have simply manufactured. Like, uh, we're, we're more alike than we are different. But yeah. we find ways to make the differences count more than the similarities. And it's just yeah. so strange. And it's uh, not not talking about uh, LGBT now, but, I mean, that's, Anybody. No, that's not no more evident than it is in right now in the United States. They are so divided that uh, I don't think they'll ever be able to patch it up. I don't dispute that. That is a seriously fractured country, no question. It's remarkable. Yeah. Yes. Ten mass shootings just pa- over the past three-day weekend in the United States. Latest statistics. Well, on that one, just to extend it to this country, so when the Trudeau Liberal federal government brought forward the new legislation regarding gun control, handguns in particular, last week, the immediate pushback was, how dare Justin Trudeau take advantage of a mass shooting south of the border and it's not in our country? Well, he could introduce that legislation any day of the week and be on the heels of a mass shooting in the United States. Funerals, <laughs> restaurants, right. Walmart. I mean, it's, it's absolutely endless. So if, that pushback if, is nonsense. You're absolutely right. If he had to wait for a dry spell in the States, he could be waiting for a long time. Well, you're never going to get one. That's right. Okay, Patty, I I said my say, and I hope I didn't offend anyone. I appreciate the time, Edward. Take care. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Derek points out the pandemic was also used as a uh, reference point during the pandemic for a variety of reasons. You know, the people who are, are completely opposed to Pride Weeks and Pride Months, they'll ask this question. Why do we need them? I think, if in our, even in our quiet moments, if you ask out loud, why do we need that, them, these celebrations, weeks or months, the fact that someone is asking is probably exactly why it's still required. 
You know, that conversation, it starts off political, it gets very emotional, when, in fact, we can, I think, as a species, have a very fundamental want to be, to understand. I mean, a lot of these issues come from the unknown, right? Is if you're not familiar with one sexual orientation or another, or you have a moral opposition to it, or a religious opposition to it, when in fact at the exact same time you have uh, faith-based teachings that are talking about understanding and empathy and forgiveness and empathy, well, I said empathy, and compassion and all the way up and down the line. And Alex makes reference to the fact that uh, Lucky Charms, and I, <laughs> I was looking for Lucky Charms when I actually mentioned rainbows used on uh, cereal boxes. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back from the newscast, hopefully you're in the queue to talk about whatever's on your mind. Don't go away. Join Brian Medor weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Just read an interesting question posed by a friend of mine. And this is regarding the fact there's been a real trend of working from home. And, you know, maybe the province can do a better job on advertising for people to move to the province, whether it be from other parts of Canada. So the trend is probably irreversible. It once was prior or pre-pandemic, pardon me, that about 15% of the global workforce was working remotely. That's just about doubled. Now, I'm sure it's wound itself back a little bit, but the trend is clear. And lots of people are still working from home. The question being posed by my friend is, does anyone worry that as more people work from home, the more isolated people will get? It's an interesting question. I think a lot of people's attitudes about where they go, when they go, what they do, has changed a little bit, even if it's just subconsciously. Now, some people were like caged animals, caged tigers. They could not wait for restrictions to be dropped because they were going right back to do whatever they wanted to do. So be it, right? Absolutely. Do whatever you got to do. But sometimes it's hard to buck that trend, even if it's not just about global workforce stuff, even if it's just about the individual. So I no, I'm fully, I'm full on lucky, because I've been coming into the studio every single day since this began, and if it wasn't for that, I'd probably be way more in the category that my friend is worried about, because folks who feel isolated now, it's hard to change that up, you know. And what do we do? It sounds like a great idea when employers are able to be accommodating for different things that are happening in your life, whether it be you completely can be uh, effective, efficient, and productive by working from home and or some flexible hours, and or understanding the the parents of children and daycare help and all, whatever it is, stretch breaks, whatever, those employers will be uber successful in the future because people now know there's ample opportunity to be very mobile in the professional workforce, especially when you have the credentials to back up your want for mobility. But what do we do about that? Because I think that's going to be the lingering concern for a long time to come is the mental bounce back or rebound from everything that we've lived with here in the last few years. It's been extremely difficult. It's been one thing for me. It's probably uh, felt different for Fonce. It's felt different for Brian Medor. It's felt different for whatever your circumstance is in life, whether it be you have no family, small family, have been working from home, continue to go to the office, haven't been to a house party in three years, haven't gone to a hockey game. Like Whatever it is, it's going to be the lingering concern. Now, not all of these things will manifest themselves with formal diagnosis of a mental illness. I'm not suggesting that. But I'm suggesting that the numbers of people who feel isolated and all the emotions that come with it, maybe a little bit of more blue days than you're used to in the past. 
maybe less likely to reach out to friends and family to set up a little hangout or to have the potluck dinner and those types of things because you, you never know what keeps people's boat afloat. You know, for me, little things to look forward to, sometimes it is all I need. Like I've got a holiday coming up. Uh, that's the thing that I'm keeping my eye on. I'm not worried about getting through Monday. I'm just looking forward to that. And that happens at the end of the month. So it's going to come sooner than I realize, which is a good thing. But some of those little marks on our calendar, I got the Friday night game of cards. And maybe that hasn't happened in a while. Or I'm going to the over 50 club or the dart league. Or maybe some of you have bounced back in full and feel better than ever now that many or if not most of the restrictions have gone away. Great. But I don't think that is the same case for everybody. And in and on the world of restrictions, talking about the end of the month. So while the province uh, dropped their vaccine mandates on the 1st of June, and it impacted not as many people as I thought it did, like inside the uh, NLESD, there were some like 15 teachers, same amount of staff at Memorial University. The public service, there was about 30 that were not granted an exemption or remained unvaccinated, and you do whatever you think is right for you. And that went away. The federal government continues to cause itself a significant amount of damage and trouble with keeping the vaccine mandate in place, especially for travel, right? The airplanes have proven to be very safe, even before there was any vaccines available. Simply the air filtration system, the HEPA filters on an airplane made it very safe. And so that's something we understand. And it's not me saying it. This came from Health Canada officials. You can find clips of Dr. Tab saying it out loud. So... We, we can't have the contradictory issue here because now all of a sudden, you know, even if it's your trust in or faith in the always evolving world of science, now we've created a space where I think there's going to be some people who will never, ever, ever believe anything that comes from the world of science ever again. So if airlines have been safe, proven to be safe, inside the fuselage, even before anybody was offered a dose of a vaccine, then how has that changed? And... You know, now it's gone from the dirty looks or the quasi-mockery of people who were not wearing masks, even though that was ill-advised and it's just a waste of your energy uh, when the mandates were in place. Now it's gone to the point where you hear some comments about, why are you wearing a mask? The question I would ask in response to that is, well, am I doing freedom wrong? You know, am I not free to wear it? I still see, just anecdotally, in my travels, which is not extensive, you know, going to the shops and stuff, is a lot of people are still wearing it, and many are not as well, and so be it. But this bounce back is going to be tough. And the federal government say they're going to keep that mandate in place until at least the end of this month. And at that point, it's probably a very good idea for them to have a better explanation as to why it remains in place. And I can only hope when I go to hit the road that some of the congestion in the country's major airports has been alleviated. And the number of border service agents and officers have been hired. And, of course, some of the logjam is caused by some of the random testing and the duplication of questions being asked. All of these things at some point come to a head because the exact same people are talking about learning how to, quote-unquote, live with COVID. Well, got to give us a roadmap as to what that actually looks like. And I, we don't have to follow any government roadmap on anything that they suggest or think or feel. But as long as they keep some restrictions in place, then some answers are due. Even remember when we were looking for some Better understanding is what the province was going to do regarding travel restrictions and quarantine. And even give us a date and some idea of what you're considering and when it might come to pass. Because, again, just like the date on the calendar where I got a game of cards or I've got a trip planned, 
when we know something better or easier or less cumbersome is coming, it removes some of that stress and worry and anxiety and depression and fear and anger that some people are still experiencing. Let's take our final break in the morning. When we come back, you're listening to more of me or we're speaking with you. Don't go away. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. This is Open Line on VOCM. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the newly tabled legislation in the House of Commons regarding gun control legislation. No question, and I think people are absolutely spot on when they make this point that unless there's more done to control the illegal importation of handguns in particular, then we're just picking away at the edges of gun control and curbing the numbers of gun violent acts in the country. No doubt about it. Some of it, the legislation makes a lot of sense. Like, I mean, it stops short of a full-on ban of handguns, but has serious rules regarding purchase, sale, transfer, and importation of handguns in the country. They have stiffened the penalties uh, for being caught at the border, but... Some of the things that they've involved in this legislation makes all the sense in the world to me. And you can offer your opinion if you're, you're so inclined. If you've been involved in des- domestic violence, then take away your firearm license. If you've had a criminal harassment charge or are convicted of criminal harassment, they take away your, fire gu- your firearm license. They've increased the penalties for smuggling and trafficking of firearms and imposed a red flag law. Quite simply says, if you're deemed a threat to yourself or to others, you have to turn over your firearm to law enforcement. Now, it gets dodgy or dicey when we try to figure out exactly how we can characterize someone as a threat to themselves or a threat to others. There are others that are quite clear. But in the discussion where we see, unfortunately, and hopefully we don't have to think or talk too much about what happens in the United States of America regarding guns and gun control and gun violence, but people will quickly say, Any of these laws will not reduce crime because criminals don't care what the law says. There is some truth to that. Of course there is. And that's where tightening up security at the border is the key area where they have not gone far enough, they being the federal government. But when we include the issues surrounding mental illness into the gun control conversation, we should be very clear what we mean on that front because having a formal diagnosis of one mental illness or another does not necessarily make you any more likely to commit an act of violence with a firearm than anybody else out there. So when we simply say that mental health, mental illness, the implication is clear. While so much good work has been done to erode the stigma, to have honest conversations about mental illness and mental health and mental wellness, when that becomes the go-to measure for some people opposed to any gun control legislation, how that's heard, is that the diagnosis means you're dangerous. And we know that's simply not true. So if you want to talk about that newly tabled gun control legislation, which is very likely going to pass given the relationship between the liberals and the NDP, to keep some of those things on the radar and to see some of this business done, whether or not you like it, we're happy to talk about it on the show. Same thing, one of the results of the partnership between the liberals and the NDP has been for the expansion of dental care, right? So it'll be fully implemented in the next few years. And like everybody else who pushes back about how much things cost, what the governments don't do a very good job of. And I think, you know, Jack Harris, when he was a member of parliament representing the NDP and St. John's East and put this national dental care plan on the table, 
Yes, we can talk about what it means for the potential for infection and hospitalization and its relationship with dementia and cardiovascular disease. But what we don't get beyond how much it's going to cost to implement, how much we think with avoiding more of those related matters. Hospitalization due to infection, and of course there's lots of issues regarding your overall health and the health of your teeth and your gums. We don't have any idea what they think it might save us. Whether it be in the world of cardiovascular disease, whether it be in the world of dementia. But until we get some of those numbers to consider, we're always going to have the racket start and end with, it costs too much. Not any potential savings, not what the physical and uh, emotional upside would be to expanded dental care, but just it costs too much. The exact same conversation, I think, happens when we talk about universal pharmacare, which comes with a huge price tag. Of course it does. But if you read the most recent Senate report, Dr. Eric Hoskins and his team, and every single time this work is done, and this has been done repeatedly, They'll talk about the price tag, but they point to the opportunity for clear savings. But inside it, we've got to be more aggressive with the pharmaceutical companies, knowing full well that when we extend the lifespan for a patent before we can introduce a generic equivalent, we just don't do much to associate government policy with the price of pharmaceuticals. So if you've never done yourself the favor of reading that most recent Senate report, it's worth it. Because, yes, the headline is $5 billion. But if you read in deeper, they quite clearly display with numbers based on those who have insurance, those who do not, the numbers of people out there taking some of their prescription or not refilling them at all, and what that means for their overall health and what that means for the most expensive thing that you can do in Canada, and that's to spend a night in the hospital, is probably well worth the read. All right, quick check on the Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. You can follow us there. Our email address is openlineofvocm.com. Uh, Aaron says, on wearing masks. I personally know more people who have been sick with COVID across North America in the last month than at any point in the last two years. Of course, and there's lots of anecdotal references to masks. What we have seen that they've demonstrated, for instance, in Ontario, the incident of COVID positive cases while the mask mandate was in place versus after is quite clear. right? And people will continually tell me the masks don't work. If your mask is ever moist or wet, then it did some form of work because they captured the droplets before they made it fully exposed out into the air, floating as w what they would like if you didn't have a mask on. And if you were wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, I'll leave it up to you. All right, good show. Appreciate the support the program gets, and we will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, Fonz King, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye. Go into the chapel and we're